At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. A former building law. Welcome to Love You Las Vegas. For Ghost Kids Heaps with myself, Greg Heaps Peters. And now a part of the Beeson family of podcasts. We've got an absolutely tremendous podcast for you. I'm going to be joined in segment number two by one of our good friends, Kai McKeon. Does absolutely amazing work over at the three-man weave, and he is going to be joining me. We're going to be taking a look at the two top teams of the SEC that are going to be in action on Wednesday as we got Tennessee and Alabama that are going to be doing battle. We're going to be diving into those games. We're going to be taking a look at just who deserves to be number one in all of college basketball. Equal, a lot of these teams are across college basketball, and if there's maybe a team outside the top five, that's really been impressing him that could be able to make some noise in March. So we're going to be talking about that in segment number two. In the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday as we had some bank shots if you have a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters ZM, they mean does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way, that's fine, an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast by that five-star review. Really didn't get in any Twitter questions today, but we did have a great day of college basketball on Tuesday, and... We've got a little bit of cleanup to do from the Mountain West from Monday. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know that he seems a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. From Monday, Baylor was able to get the job done against Kansas by kind of 75 to 69. Kansas has now dropped three straight games. Jalen Wilson did his part. 23 points, 5 rebounds. And Grady Dick at 24 points. Kevin McCullough, 14 points, 12 rebounds. Bench was not there for Kansas. And despite Baylor going 9 of 30 from 3, LJ Cryer by himself going 5 of 11 from distance. They did a solid job winning the rebound battle. Baylor won the turnover battle 15 to 9. And you had Adam Flagler do a very solid job with 17 points in this one. So Baylor was able to get that one to the window. And then if you took a look at the New Mexico versus Nevada game, it was all sorts of air brain, double overtime. Nevada got it done on what was a really, really bad technical foul that was called towards the end of this. It was a technical foul that was called after a foul that should have won on Nevada. Did not go against them. Just all sorts of air brain there. Now, I will say Will Baker, a tremendous game for Nevada, 28 points. And for New Mexico, you had Jamal Mashburn Jr. chip in there, 33. Maurice Uduze, a double-double, 16 points, 10 rebounds. Jalen House, 17 points. 10 assists, 7 rebounds, but for Nevada, they were able to do a solid job with getting a 13-13 and 13 performance out of Darian Williams. This was just an absolutely tremendous and high-level game, and on Tuesday, we saw the Big 12 
on full display right now as I'm doing this podcast since I need to do this for it to be up at midnight Pacific. And I've got from midnight to 3 Eastern, the Greg Peterson experience. I have to do this a little bit in advance. Right now, Kansas State and Iowa State in a very big battle. Kansas State up at the half, 33-31. to And Texas up on Oklahoma, 40-32 to at the half. So we shall see how those games result. Kentucky, right now as I'm doing this, they're all over Vanderbilt, 48-30. to Yes, they have come out in the second half and they have just laid the wood to Vanderbilt. This was a 29-27 game. And ever since then, Kentucky has been on a 19-3 run with Kentucky. They seem to be finding that good flow as Xavier Wheeler has not played a lot in this game. And with the off the floor, Kentucky has been just so much better. So something that I am certainly taking note of. Got to take note of this Rutgers team who is just absolutely pulverizing teams on defense. 65-45. to they completely bludgeon Penn State. Penn State, 4 of 26 from 3. Penn State loses the rebound battle, 43 to 26. Cliff Amaruya, double-double, 16 points, 10 rebounds. Rutgers, just nine turnovers for them. They didn't force a lot of turnovers, which is typically a hallmark of Rutgers. They only forced 7, but they forced Penn State into a bunch of really, really bad shots. Jalen Pickett still got his with 15 points, 8 rebounds. Seth Lundy, he also had 12 points along with the Funk and Andrew Funk, but I mean, that was just not what you're typically accustomed to seeing from this Penn State offense. Miami, they just completely took it to Florida State. 86-63 to the final. Miami goes 11 of 22 from three-point range. Nigel Pack, Isaiah Wong, they were able to combine for 36 points. They both go 4 of 7 from three-point range. Wong chips in there, nine rebounds. No Chad Omir, a double-double. And for Florida State, 3 of 22 from three-point range. Matthew Cleveland had his streak of double-doubles snapped in the team's previous game against Pittsburgh. Just 10 points, five rebounds. It was everything going right for Miami and not a lot going for Florida State as they lost the rebound battle. Florida State did 40-23. So, utter domination by Miami. Utter domination in the second half from Northern Illinois. They take down Kent State as a double-digit underdog, 86-76. A Kent State team has been one of the best teams in all of college basketball with their defensive efficiency. David Coit, 32 points, 6 rebounds. He goes 5 of 9 from 3-point range. Northern Illinois, they shoot 13 of 28 from 3-point range. Now, Northern Illinois loses a turnover battle, 13-12, to but they win the battle on the glass, 29-27. to Sincere Carey had 16 points, 7 assists, and just one turnover. But for Kent State, rest of the team did not necessarily live up to their billing. I lived up to my billing on a Tuesday. The DK Nation bet comes through as we had the under in TCU versus Oklahoma, and Oklahoma had an almighty draw to help out with this one. 79-52, TCU was able to get the job done as... For Oklahoma, there was about a nine-minute stretch in this game where they did not score. They were stuck on 27 with about two minutes remaining in the first half up until there was about 13 minutes left in the game. So that was not too terrific for Oklahoma, who goes 5 of 19 from 3. And TCU, a not-so-great three-point shooting team, they go 6 of 17 from 3. And Mike Miles, 10 of 10 at the free line, 6 of 9 from the floor, 23 points. Emmanuel Miller, he chipped in there 10 rebounds as TCU just completely won the rebound battle by a count of 46 to 38. 
Oklahoma forced into 15 turnovers in this game. Oklahoma sped up in this game as well. They were just completely out of sorts. This was utter domination by TCU. Is looking very, very strong right now. Missouri State continue to catch those under 63 to 59. They win. They don't cover against UIC. UIC actually a very good effort from Jace Carter. He was able to chip in their 19 points and South Southern Illinois. Continue to play their slow and grimy style. Total of 130 does go over in their game against Murray State. So Southern Illinois catches and over there. They get the win, but no cover. 68-64 to on that one. The most harebrained total of the day as Toledo versus Eastern Michigan. Close with a total of about 164.5. Stays under 84-79 to Toledo with a win, but they were unable to cover as Amani Bates. 43 points. I was hearing rumors that he might have been a little bit banged up coming into this one. Well, he looked pretty good at this game. 9 of 14 from 3. If he had any help whatsoever, Eastern Michigan would have been able to get the job done. As Toledo, they went 12 of 28 from 3 with having every one of their starters score at least double figures. And, I mean, how insane is your starting lineup when Raheem Moss, who had 10 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, had 6 points fewer than everyone else in the starting rotation, Toledo, a good RD2 bench points in this game. So that was rather hilarious. Davidson, they get the win and cover. I know that Justin Perry was talking about this on the show yesterday, 64-57. to It's been a rough stretch for Davidson. They entered in this game shooting right around 30.5% from three. They go 9 of 22 from distance. Sam Meninga, 27 points, 11 rebounds, and for LaSalle, 14 turnovers to the 11 of Davidson. Still just 11 points out of Foster Lawyer in this game, but a solid W there. Georgetown, for the first time in 22 months, they take down a Big East foe, 81-76. Georgetown, after they were trailing by one point at the half, they were able to come up with a good second half. Things got a little bit close late, but that said, for DePaul, they lose this game as they still shoot 7 to 15 from 3, but they allowed Georgetown to get to the line 41 times. 27 to 41 is what Georgetown shot at the free line. Kudis Wahab, 10 rebounds down low. Primo Spears chips in there 21 points. And for Errol Penn, he had 13 rebounds in this contest. So Georgetown, they finally get a win against a Big East foe. Notre Dame, they were able to get their fourth cover of the year as a nine-point underdog. They hang in there against NC State. NC State win, but no cover. 85 to uh, 82, the final in this one. So Notre Dame no longer has the worst cover rate in all of college basketball. Say what, 9 of 21 from three-part range. Cormac Ryan, 19 points. Goes 5 of 6 from 3. Entering into this game, Notre Dame was 3 and 15 and 1 against the spread. I believe might have been 16, but yeah, it was really bad. Jarkel Joyner, he had 21 points in this contest for NC State. I know that Traquavian Smith was dealing with a little bit of an injury. Didn't look too bad in this game. 17 points, 6 assists out of him as NC State had just 2 turnovers in this game compared to Notre Dame's 15. So that was rather insane that Notre Dame was able to hold in on this one. Illinois, they get the win. They get the cover against the Ohio State University, 69-60 to the final. Ohio State has honestly been playing a little bit better on defense as for Ohio State, they've allowed 70 points or fewer and now three out of their last five games. So they've been able to do a solid job on that front as Illinois, they win this game despite shooting 5 of 28 from three-point range. Ohio State won 4 of 10 from the outside, but for Ohio State, they lose their rebound battle 44-30. to They win the turnover battle 12-6, to but that said, for 
Illinois, they had T.J. Shannon on their side who had 17 points and 7 rebounds to be able to get them to a victory. Also, another team that's been really bad against the spread, Tulsa, they're still stuck on three covers, and I believe that they now have the worst cover rate in all of college basketball, 76-66. to Tulsa loses to East Carolina as East Carolina. They had R.J. Felton chip in there, a 10 of 17 shooting performance. They're still currently without their top scorer in Javon Small, so you do want to be donating that. But Brian Johnson, 24 points, 8 rebounds. For Tulsa, you had Bryant Salabongu, who was able to chip in there, 18 points, 10 rebounds. But, yeah, they lost the rebound battle, 40-23. to 23. It's been a really, really bad year for Tulsa, and it just continues. Also continuing is the demise of LSU. LSU, their sixth straight non-cover. They lose to Arkansas 60-40 in a low-scoring slog that saw LSU make 14 field goals and turn the ball over 15 times. For Arkansas, they win the rebound battle 36-35, and for LSU, they just couldn't throw the ball in the basket. 1 of 9 for 3, they shoot 26% from the floor. Missouri, they were able to throw the ball in the basket 89-77. to they take down Ole Miss, Demoye Hoge, 6 of 11 from 3-point range, 24 points out of him as Missouri goes 16 of 30 from 3. Ole Miss has now lost 6 out of their last 7 games as Deshaun Ruffin back in the starting lineup, 18 points. He actually looked really good. He had 2 steals, 7 assists, 3 turnovers, so he did his part, but Ole Miss also loses the turnover battle by kind of 16 to 11. A very, very ugly game out of them, and it was pretty ugly if you were a backer of Ball State as they lost to Buffalo by a count of 91 to 65 for Buffalo. 11 of 22 from three point range for Ball State. They had Jerron Coleman actually go 7 of 10 from three for 27 points. Problem is nobody else showed up and nobody played a lick of defense on this Buffalo team. And if you're taking a look at the landscape of college basketball, we have been seeing quite a few overs this year. Overs currently have the lead on under 1,700 overs, 1,670 unders. And if you're looking in terms of pushes, I believe that in terms of totals that have pushed, we're at like 90 or so thus far this season. So that's certainly something to take note of. And home underdogs, they're starting to dry up a little bit. They're still covering north of 52.3% from the year, 490, 442, and 18 against the spread. But you take a look at the last seven days, in college basketball, and it's not been a dog's day at the window. 45-60-6 against the spread. Our home underdogs last seven days as road teams in general have been able to cover 53.2% of games over the last 30 days. And in the last 30 days, we've seen a little bit more of a run on unders. 164 unders to 158 overs. So that's what we've seen in college basketball over the last 24 hours. And that's what we're getting trend-wise. Coming up next, we talk to our good friend Kai McKean of the three-man weave about how equal so many of these teams are in college basketball. Who deserves to be number one? And we're going to take a look at these two big-time SEC teams. They're going to be in action on Wednesday in Tennessee and Alabama. Also, give you guys Chicago State versus Sanford up next with Kai McKean of the three-man reef right here on Coast Coast Seeds with myself, Greg Eames, and now a part of Decent Family Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. And we're back here in Lovey, Las Vegas. For Kelsey Kessie, with myself, Greg H. Stevens, and now part of the Decent Family Podcast. Always great to be joined by this gentleman. It's Kai McKeon. He is one-third of the three-man weave who do absolutely amazing work. Taking a look at the great game of college basketball, you're able to follow them at the number 3MW underscore CBB with the three-man weave. They contribute to Action Network, Field of 68. They do a great job looking at college basketball from a wide variety of lenses, whether that be just taking a look at who the top teams in college basketball are, taking a look at some great bets as well. And to be able to follow Kai as at the letters K and Y underscore and then the number three, MW, and Kai, it's always great to have you aboard. Thank you. 
Hey, Greg, thanks for having me. And Kai, I am a big-time appreciator of the fact that you were at a Kansas State game a few days ago and you were drinking a Bush Light. So that gets credit for me being someone that was shown drinking Bud Ice a few days ago. So we can relate there, and we can relate to both being lovers of the Big Ten as well. And Kai, what have you really noticed with this conference? Because I do feel like this year we do have that runaway number one team in the conference in Purdue. Been very impressed by them. Zach Eady, giant of the earth has been completely dominant, but it feels like teams not named Purdue, it's just a turnstile as to who should be like the number two, number three team, what have you. And I'm just very fascinated by a Big Ten that year in and year out, home court advantage, it really does settle a lot of these battles, and things just remain the same in the Big Ten. The home team has just been completely dominant in so many of these matchups. Yeah, there's a lot of parity going on in the Big Ten. Ten teams right now on Kempom are projected to finish at 500 or a game or above below. And so it's crazy how evenly matched it seems to be uh, all, all these teams. You have Purdue, like you said, out front. You know, Rutgers right now uh, is projected to do better, but I think they'll fall back towards the middle. It's just a really good conference. It's, it's tough every single night. There's no off night. And yeah, any home team is very capable of winning any given game, any given night. It's truly a great conference. Yep, and I feel like a lot of conferences are just like that as well because we're going to be seeing on display a few more games from the Big 12 on Wednesday, and I just can't remember ever seeing a conference that is quite a war like the Big 12 because you're going to find your worst of the worst teams in the Big 12. And by worst teams, I mean Texas Tech and West Virginia be favorites over teams like a Kansas and a Kansas State when they're on their home floor. And it's just been ridiculous what we've been seeing out there in the Big 12 where it feels like any win that you're able to get against any team in the Big 12 should be treated like gold because every single one of these is a slobber knocker war of a battle. It really is. Yeah, the Big 12 is, is the best conference in the country. One of the best I think we've seen ever. And frankly, just because every single team is really good. Even Texas Tech, right, who's winless in conference play, they're still a force to be reckoned with, in my opinion. And outside of them, the other nine teams are in the top 40 in Kimpom. It's It's an incredible league. It's a shame that we're not going to get, you know, two or three of these teams in the NCAA tournament because they're definitely good enough to play there. But that's the nature of playing in a tough conference like this. Unfortunately, someone has to finish towards the bottom, and those guys will get left out. Yep, the losers are going to be those two to three teams that you mentioned. They're not going to be in the NCAA tournament. The winners are us because night in and night out, we're getting absolutely tremendous fights out of them. As joining me on the podcast, we do have Kai McKeon of the Three Man Weave and. Theme of what we've talked about the last two questions is just the equal nature of college basketball right now. We're finding that just nationwide because in terms of the team that is number one in the poll, it is Purdue. And I really don't have gripes with that. You can put Alabama there at number one. You can put Purdue there at number one. Either way, I feel like you really can't go wrong. I know that there's some people that are making a little bit of a argument for Tennessee. I need to see a little bit more consistency out of them before I'd be willing to buy in. But I think that it's very clear that this year there isn't necessarily that top team. And I do think that when it comes down to these final, I would say, five to six weeks of conference play, coupled with the NCAA tournament, it's that old boxing adage of it's that old boxing adage of matchups make fights because I do feel like because these teams, they are so equal, you can't just have one team be a favorite over every other team. I think that it really is going to be matchup by matchup. And this year, so much more so than ever before. And I always am a firm believer that the draw that you get in the NCAA tournament is paramount to the success that you have in the NCAA tournament. I think it's even bigger this year. 
Yeah, definitely. And that's the nature of the tournament, right? It's that small game sample size. Matchups have a big impact on how far you go. Yeah, top of the country this year in terms of teams. I do think it's a bit more um, close together. We, we don't see those super dominant one or two squads we've seen in years past. I still think Houston has a good case for being the best team in the country. I know they just lost to Temple, but man, both sides of the ball, they, they really do well. Purdue, of course, is up there. Alabama, of course, is up there. There might be more teams this season for winning the national title. I think we've had more contenders this year that I can see than in years past, which makes it more exciting. Yeah, but I do think that when it's all said and done, we could see Houston up there at number one as well. I do have a little bit of trepidation with some of their shooting. We saw that on display against Temple. That's something that does creep up on them. It certainly does creep up on a team that I alluded to a little bit earlier in Tennessee, but maybe teams that are outside the top five that you feel like could make a run. Are there a few that come to mind that you really like what you've been seeing out of them the last few weeks, and they could be one of those teams that climbs up, maybe doesn't win a national title, but could make a nice deep run into like the second weekend of the NCAA tournament, perhaps becomes a surprise Final Four team if things break their way. Yeah, I'd watch out for St. Mary's. They're a team that comes to mind, not really getting respect in the in the normal public eye. I don't even think they're ranked, which is a travesty. They're, they're the seventh best team in Kempom, and they've basically been playing like the Gonzaga teams of old. They're smashing WCC competition in, in a fashion that we're used to seeing from Gonzaga. I, I believe they're something like 11-2 and two against the spread over the last 13 games. And they're just an incredible team. They play great defense. They're good on offense as well. They have a fantastic coach, and they have a lot of experience and a lot of guys who played last season, so a lot of continuity as well. So I think they can make a deep run into the tournament. Their style of play is almost Virginia-esque with how they play on offense which we've seen can win a title before. And you'll be heartened to know that St. Mary's is actually number 22 in the AP poll. That is a good thing. I am right there with you, and I do like what I've been seeing out of the St. Mary's team as Guy McKean, who does tremendous work over there at the three-man weave. He is joining me on the podcast. And in terms of teams that are a little bit more slash less trustworthy, I do think that that is always interesting to take a look at because I always am a believer in a team like a St. Mary's. They play at a slow, methodical style, but you know exactly what you're going to be able to get out of them night in and night out. I feel that way about Virginia as well. I'm not sure what your thoughts are, but I feel like Virginia has been a little bit more random on defense. I think that they've been the victims of bad variance from time to time with regards to outside shooting. But that said, I like what I'm seeing out of them as well. But I do think that these teams that they do play at a little bit of a slower tempo, like a Virginia, like a St. Mary's, they are teams that you're able to bank on a little bit more in March rather than a team like, say, in Alabama, just because with an Alabama, I just always have that fear that a defense that for them this year has been absolutely tremendous, it could fail them at just the wrong time. Those teams like Virginia, like St. Mary's, they seem a little more safe. Their variance is lower. Their highs and lows are, are smaller, right? I guess a lot of times in the past, we've seen teams maybe not be able to win titles like that. I think Virginia was really kind of broke the mold there. That's what kind of makes the tournament so exciting. It's catching a team off on their off night in, in a big upset, right? Like Alabama, they play at the third fastest tempo in the country offensively. While that's great and it makes for exciting basketball, they win a lot of games. That lends to a lot of variance and certainly could be their downfall at some point in the tournament if one team's hot and, and they're not. But yeah, that's what makes college basketball so great is a different style of, of plays. You know, we can go to a whole lot longer conversation about shot clock. Uh, let's hope it stays the way it is because... The style of plays, the variety there is really what makes college basketball um, fantastic. I do agree with you. I absolutely love the way that college basketball is set up right now as we do have Kai McKeon of the three-man. We've joined me on the podcast and 
They want to talk about variance. We've been seeing quite a bit of it with this UConn team recently. They're going to be playing against Xavier, and with UConn, currently they're finding themselves in most places as right around a seven-point favorite, and I do think that UConn is going to be able to get the job done in this spot. I do think that they're going to avenge the loss that they took to Xavier a little bit earlier in the season, but I don't feel comfortable laying this number with UConn until I see them really do it against a team other than Butler. Butler just feels like they've been that get-right game for a lot of teams thus far this season, and Butler has been a pretty big disappointment in their own right. They're going to be going up against Providence. I think that it's going to be a long night for them, but what do you make out of the Xavier versus UConn game? Because I do think that UConn, a team that they came out of the gate smoking hot, they were looking like a team that was going to be in that conversation of, if not being a number one overall team, of perhaps being a team in the top five, fighting for a one seed. They have fallen off the table a little bit. I still think that they've got some upside, but it just feels like things have been in a little bit of disarray for them, and I want to see a little bit more before I'm willing to lay a number like a touchdown for them against a top 25 team in Xavier. could argue Xavier's playing better basketball right now. I, I probably would, in fact, but this UConn team, their top gear, I think it's the best top gear in the country. When they're hitting on all cylinders, they're number one. You saw it in Portland. They beat Alabama by 15 points in Portland, and it wasn't even a sweat. That's impressive. They beat Iowa State by 18 points on the same floor. After seeing those games, I'm totally convinced this team could be the best team in the country. Now, they've been pretty inconsistent in Big East play. Their shooting hasn't been there. Maybe that's a bit of poor luck. Maybe it's shot selection. Maybe it's because they started feeling themselves, and they've kind of let their their foot fall off the gas pedal a little bit. Maybe maybe it's coaching as well. I'm not a huge Dan Hurley fan. Don't tell him I said that. N- not the biggest fan of his either. Whatever the case, I, I know what their top gear is, and they could absolutely beat Xavier by double digits. Will they? I'm not sure. I, I, I kind of share your sentiment of ring of laying that many points right now against Xavier. All right. Here's the text to Dan Hurley, Kai McKeon, my good <laughs> friend. No, I'm kidding, of course. Do not worry. I do not have... Dan Hurley's number, I'm not in that exclusive of company quite yet, but certainly I do think that UConn, when they are firing out cylinders, they've got a case for being that number one team in all of college basketball, but it's been so strange as to what's been happening. I feel like you sort of have the same sentiments as me. I'm not sure exactly what's happened with this team because with UConn, you just mentioned it. Those wins that they had in Portland, they were absolutely incredible, but they just have not looked like themselves recently. And there's just no rhyme or reason. And we find this with teams just throughout the years in general where sometimes they fall off the table. You have no idea why they play poorly, but they do. I don't know if you have anything else to add in terms of UConn, but it's been just so strange watching them because I'm right there with you in that this team is so good and I have no idea what's happened, but they just haven't been themselves. Yeah, I don't get it. Like I said, maybe it's coaching, maybe <laughs> it's just luck. Whatever it is, hopefully they're, they find their groove over the next month or so, and we'll see what their form is come tournament time. But certainly head-scratching right now. Absolutely. And then I do want to get your thoughts on the two main SEC teams that are going to be in action on Wednesday as well. It's Kai McKean of the Three Man Weave has joined me on the podcast. You got Tennessee playing us to Georgia, and Georgia is a 16.5-point underdog. I recognize that this is a better Tennessee team, but they are a pretty inconsistent team in terms of their shooting. I'm not going to be willing to lay the 16 personally, but I do think that this 135 total is way too high, and I do think that in terms of the defensive side of things, Tennessee is the number one team in all of college basketball. The offense is a big limiter. It feels like it fails them at just the worst time every single year, but I feel like this Tennessee team should go out there, 
hold this Georgia team to fewer than 55 points. And I think that Tennessee should be able to show their might once again. I think that this could be a little bit too lofty of a number, but I think that we see another dominant defensive effort from Tennessee on Wednesday. Yeah, one of those games I don't really feel comfortable with either side. Um, I, I do not like fading Tennessee because they have the ability to blow teams out. They've blown out three or four teams in the SEC by 20-plus. No thanks for the dog there. George has definitely <laughs> been better this season than people expected. Tennessee's a different animal. I agree. The spread definitely seems high. I, I would lean Georgia on a pure number perspective, but I can't fade Tennessee anymore. I, I've given that up. And then what do you make out of Alabama being about a 12-and-a-half to a 13-point favorite against Mississippi State with a total of 139-and-a-half? Because Mississippi State is a relatively solid defense, but we saw the last time these two teams played, Alabama was able to get to north of 75 points against Mississippi State. And for Mississippi State, their defense is relatively solid, but I do fear that they just might not make enough shots against Alabama, and even though they've got a lot of possessions, this is a Mississippi State team that they just leave so much to be desired on the offensive side of things where if they could just shoot like 33-34% from three-point range, they could be a force on the national level. I just don't know if they're going to be able to get there by the end of the season. Yeah, same scenario, I think, as Georgia-Tennessee. It's I don't want to fade Alabama, but the number does feel high. It's Mississippi State's offense. It's atrocious. It's been brutal in SEC play. They're the worst shooting team in the conference by a long shot. That's free throw line, two-pointers, three-pointers, you name it. They just can't score. So against an Alabama team that plays really good defense, that's pretty scary. New State's defense hasn't even been that good in conference play, and Alabama's offense has been fantastic. I think they can basically crush Mississippi State, and I'll be staying away from that game. Don't blame you there, but I will tell you, the one dog that I'm actually looking at for Wednesday, Chicago State catching 17 points against Stanford. Ty, should Stanford be a 17-point favorite against anyone at this point? Because this just feels absolutely ridiculous. And this is a Stanford team that I have no idea why they're currently employing Jared Hass. And I just take a look at Stanford, and it's been one of the more disappointing stories in college basketball, not just this year, but the last three seasons combined. Yeah, the answer is no. Stanford should not be that big of a favorite against anybody. But my one worry is Chicago State's coming from Coastal Carolina on Monday and turning around and playing Stanford across the country on Wednesday. And, you know, maybe that's not as big of a factor as, as I'm making it out to be. Um, and this game, Stanford certainly doesn't care about. There's there's no way they're giving a top effort. It's Chicago State. It's a non-conference game. Chicago State carries a reputation of being a very poor team. This year, they're not that poor, as we've seen in the past, obviously. Um, so I can't really see Stanford getting up for this game. So despite the travel issues that Chicago State is undoubtedly going to have, I-, I would still probably lean their way. With Chicago State, they've actually made you a little bit of money against the spread thus far this year. Not something we've been able to say a lot in the past, but a guy that is able to make you a lot of money and a guy that really knows his college basketball, that'd be you, Kai. You do absolutely amazing work over there at the Three Man Weave and all three of you guys over at the Three Man Weave. You, Matt, along with Jim, you do amazing work. You guys have daily shows. You do a great job with your podcast as well. So let the good people at home know it's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, sure. We are at 3MW underscore CBB on Twitter. That's where you can get all our links to our shows, our writing, everything else. <laughs> and Kai does absolutely incredible work. All three of those guys are just so insightful with their college basketball numbers. They're doing a solid job with their bets. They've been on a nice run recently, and it's always great to get any of those three on the podcast. And today, it was Kai who joined me. So, big thanks to Kai McKeon for joining me on Coast Coast Soup. Sound part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday as we hit some big
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? 
The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. And we're back here at Lucky Las Vegas for Ghost Ghost Soups with myself, Greg Goops Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Always great to be joined by Kai McKeon. He does amazing work over at the Three Man Weave, taking a look at the great game of college basketball. I know that he and the Three Man Weave do great work over at Action Network, Field of 68. You're able to catch these guys all over the place, and anytime we can get any of the gentlemen of the Three Man Weave aboard, it is always a pleasure, so... Big thanks to Kai for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast that I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do you note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNN underscore one. We're going to be going in the Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the games that involve bigger conferences first, and then the conferences are going to be at the bottom. This is going to be the Big South, the America East. I think there might be a Patriot League game or two in there. I know that if I haven't said it already, the Northeastern Conference, those are going to be at the bottom. And you're also going to find at the normal Las Vegas betting board, the game at the bottom is going to be Northwestern versus Nebraska. That was a game that was originally supposed to be yesterday, but because Northwestern was dealing with COVID issues, that is today, so that turned out to be a write-in game. So let's get things started with 661, 662 on the betting board. It is UConn playing as Xavier. The X-Men are between a 6.5 to a 7.5 point favorite, and your total is between 151 and 152.5. I did set my total at a 152, mostly seeing 151 to 151.5. I'm going to be willing to go over. Last time these two teams looked up, you saw a relatively high-scoring game with Xavier getting an 83-73 to 73 win, and I do think that UConn is going to be able to get their revenge. I think that UConn is better than the team that we saw go on that slide of five losses in six games, but... That said, this is too lofty of a number for me, even with UConn. Being a top 10 team in terms of rebound rate, being a top 15 team in terms of defensive efficiency, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Xavier. As I set them as a 6-point underdog with Xavier, they are outside the top 125 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but they're a top 15 team in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. Really headlined by four different guys. They give you at least 14 points per game. Sule Boom has been a terrific scorer. 16.5 points, 5 assists, shooting 43% from 3. Zach Fremantle, Jack Nunge, they combined for 30 points, 16.5 rebounds, with both of them shooting at least 40% from 3. And then Kobe Jones, one of the best Swiss Army Knife guys in college basketball. 1.3 steals, 42% 3-point shooter, with 5 boards, 5.2 assists, and 14.3 points per game. Now, Xavier doesn't necessarily have a ton of depth, and that's where UConn does have a bit of an advantage. You've got someone like a Joey Calcaterra, a good sharp shooter, shooting 44% from 3 with 7 points per game to... 
Help out the likes of Adama Sinogo along with Jordan Hawkins. Hawkins, 15.5 points, shoots 39% from three. Sinogo makes things a go-go. Nice combo player with 17 points, 7 boards, 37% three-point shooting. UConn as a whole, they shoot about 35.5% from three-point range. And they themselves are a top 25 team in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. Last time these two teams hooked up, UConn went 13 of 37 from three. But last time these two teams played as well, Xavier, a good three-point shooting team. They won by 10 points while going just 4 of 13 from three-point range. That is a big indictment on this UConn team. Sometimes they do get a little bit of foul happy. You do have Dominic Klingon, who I think is solid. He only had two rebounds in the first game. I think that'll do better here overall for the season, averaging 8.5 points, 6 boards. Very good rim protector with two blocks per game and this size. Now you've got with UConn, you've got guys like an Andre 3000 Jackson with Six points, a little bit over six boards, four and a half assists. I mean, it's really good, and I do think that it is going to win out in this spot, but I just do not feel comfortable laying this sort of a number with UConn until they bludgeon a team other than the uh, Butler Bulldogs like we saw in their last game. And it is a UConn team that they have been held to 70 points or fewer in four of their last seven games. And the Xavier team has been a rocket ship with their offense getting to at least 80 in four out of their last five games. So it is a circumstance where I could see some late game falling. I do think that UConn tightens up the screws a little bit in this spot, but getting a 151 like I'm seeing in a lot of spots going to be one to go over. And with UConn could only make them a six-point fair. So going to take seven plus here with Xavier. 663, 664 on the betting board. East Tennessee State is on the road facing off against Mercer. Mercer is a four-point favorite with your total between 130 and 131. And with Mercer, set them as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm going to be looking to take four with East Tennessee State. East Tennessee State has been a little bit all over the place this season, but they've done a better job with their defense this year than last year. Last year, this was a bunch I was ranked right around 300th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. And... Not like this team is like super dominant or anything like that, but you know what? 178th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, and a team that has actually been significantly better on the road, giving up 8.7 points fewer per 100 possessions when they are on the road rather than when they are at home. And they're facing off against a Mercer team that they have really looked to slow things down. Mercer in the bottom 100 in terms of total possessions per game, but just because you play slow doesn't mean that you're necessarily good on defense or in 64th. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and for Mercer, they give up the same amount of points on a per-possession basis, 103.3 per 100 possessions, both at home and on the road. So they really have not been able to do a better job when they have been at home, which I do find to be very intriguing. You've got an East Tennessee State team that has had a little bit of a rough time shooting the ball from three-point range this season, and uh, that is due to Jordan King, a guy the last season shot over 40% from three-point range, just 30% this season, but seems to be getting online. He had a 42-point game a little bit earlier in the month against the Citadel. He's averaging 14.5 points per contest. Things are going a little bit better on that front. Down low, Jaden Seymour. Let's be able to give this team a little bit over seven points, right around seven boards per contest. Missed a few games a little bit earlier in the month, but now he is back at the fold, and he is firing all cylinders. He's Tennessee State as a whole. They do shoot 65 and a half percent the free line. That is a worry mark. They only shoot about 31 percent from three-point range, but they, in their last game against Mercer, were able to do a relatively solid job on the glass in that one. They actually won the rebound battle by kind of 35 to 28 in that first matchup, though. Mercer won by kind of 68 to 55 just because 
East Tennessee State went 4 of 15 from 3, and they turned the ball over 17 times compared to Mercer 7. I do think that we're going to be seeing a little bit of reversal on that front. It is a Mercer team that they take care of the ball. 11 after an over 3 game. They shoot 35.5% from 3-point range. Kamar Robertson is able to give you 12 points. He shoots in that neighborhood about 45.5% from 3-point range. He's been a little bit up and down in terms of scoring, but by and large is solid. And then down low, you got a trio of guys in Jalen McCreary, Lucas Hartado Jr., and David Craig that all give you between 4.2 and 5.5 rebounds per game. McCreary chips in their 14.5 points to be able to pace the team, Hartado Jr. and Craig. They combine for about 15 points per contest with Hartado. Six foot five, a little bit of a point forward that chips in their four assists per game, but neither of these guys really shoot it well from three. And for Craig, because he's more of a true center, really doesn't shoot it at all from three-point range, and I do think that East Tennessee State going to be able to play a little bit better in this game as they're coming off of really one of the best ones of the year. They were able to take down Chattanooga 78-62. Their defense has been able to come into form, giving up 70 points or fewer in four of their last five games. Now credit where credit is due on the front of Mercer. They enter having given up 61 points or fewer in each of their previous three games launched by that game against East Tennessee State, but for East Tennessee State, I do think that they match up relatively well down low. I don't think that East Tennessee State, a team that they do turn the ball over right around 13.9 times per game. They're going to lose a turnover battle by 10, and I do expect a relatively solid game from the ancillary guards as they lost in that last game against Mercer, both Josh Taylor and DeAnthony Tipler, a combined 20 points that's currently missing from the fold, but they've seen someone like Justice Smith be able to step up ever since then, a combined 19 points with those two guys out of the fold in that game against Mercer, unexpectedly was able to score 17 points. I do think that ETSU has been able to find their footing ever since then, so I did set my number at 2.5. I'm going to be looking to take the points with East Tennessee State. Both of these teams have been able to do a better job on defense, and you've got a Mercer team that is relatively slow, but I do expect a little bit of late game following, and I do think that East Tennessee State starting to find a good form of offense coming off of 78 points against Chattanooga. So, a spot where I set my number at 2.5, looking to take the four with East Tennessee State, and I'm looking at the over at 665-666 on the betting board. The Citadel is going to be on the road facing off against Western Carolina. Western Carolina is a favorite of 6 to 7 points with your total 141, and with Western Carolina, set them as a favorite of 6.5 points, mostly seeing 6, and I'm going to be willing to lay the 6. I do think that Western Carolina just has more depth in general because the Citadel, they do have a pair of guys in Austin Ash and Stephen Clark. They combine for 32 points. They give you a little bit under 12 rebounds per game. Clark, 2.5 assists, 2 blocks per contest. As a 6'8", a little bit of combo player. Only shoots about 21% for 3, but then you've got Ash, more of the main guard for this team who comes in from Iowa. He's been able to shoot 37% from the outside, chips in there in seal per game, and it's been really consistent. 11 plus points in each of the last five games between 11 and 12 points in four of those games with a random 17 thrown in there, but you really don't have a lot in terms of the ancillary pieces as you would be able to get about 6.8 points per game out of Elijah Morgan, 7.5 points per contest out of Madison Dewar. You got a lot of guys that are hovering in that neighborhood, but David Maynard, after he had a good back half of the 2021-22 season, is averaging a little bit over four points per game. Meanwhile, for Western Carolina, you got to love the duo of Tyshawn Claude and Vontravius Wolbright. Claude, your main low post player, 15 points, 8.5 boards, and does shoot 40% from three. And then Wolbright, a sad sheet stuffing 6'6 combo player, point forward, 7 boards, 4.5 assists, 14 points per game. Does not shoot it well from three, but does chip in there a steal per game. And 
Depending if we give the team 18 plus points and 6 plus rebounds in each of the last four games. And then you've got Trey Jackson shooting 43% from three. Western Carolina a little bit earlier in the season. They had bad offensive performances and step-up games, but really good ones against lesser teams. They've been much more consistent with their offensive play recently, especially with Russell Jones being able to step his game up as he's been able to chip in their 10 points, a little bit under two steals per game. She's 39% from three for a Western Carolina team that is only turning the ball over 11 times per game. They go up against the Citadel bunch at they're not doing a good job of being able to force turnovers down for the Citadel. 70 points are fear surrendered in each other last three games and it is a Western Carolina team that they themselves have been a little bit hot and cold in terms of their offense scoring 73 points or fewer and now three out of their last five games. But that said, it's Western Carolina team that feels like they've really been able to ascend as the season has been going along and though the Citadel has had a nice little three game stretch this is still one of the most future defenses in all of college basketball for the Citadel 305th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis Western Carolina certainly leaving something to be desired there they rank 244th in the country but Citadel they're outside the top 200 in terms of possessions per game they've looked to slow things down they're still really bad on defense you got a Western Carolina team that's more around 180th in terms of possessions per game a very mid-tempo team so I did set my total at a 140 and a half barely looking at the under in this spot just because with the Citadel I do think that they are going to play a little bit similarly to the first time around that these two teams met up the Citadel they got it done on their home floor by kind of 65 to 61 a night where Western Carolina shot four of 25 from three and the Citadel they went nine of 21 from distance with Clark going off for 28 points eight rebounds in that game and for Western Carolina, they actually lost the turnover battle by kind of 10 to 7 in a relatively efficient game where they had Tyshawn Clogg go for 17 points, 17 rebounds. I think Clogg can dominate once again. I do think that Western Carolina going to shoot a little bit better from three point range in this spot. Set them as a six and a half point favorite. One to lay the six. Set my total at 140 and a half. So 141 or higher looking at the under. 667, 668 on the betting board. VCU plays close to George Mason. George Mason is a underdog of eight points. Your total is between 136 and a half and 137 and with VCU set them as a five and a half point favorite I'm going to be looking to take the eight with George Mason George Mason should have an advantage with Josh Oduru being so versatile 15 points eight boards three assists as a six foot nine little bit of a combo player that shoots about 32 percent from three power range shows and they're a block per game and this guy's been on absolute fire he has scored at least 17 points in each of the last five games and at least nine rebounds in each of the last five games and he's had at least nine rebounds and now six out of the team's last eight games as well. So he has been able to do a tremendous job just being able to fill up every column of the stat sheet. Now they are going up against a VCU team that they've cranked up their tempo a little bit more. They're right around 130th in terms of possessions per game. And for VCU, 19th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And at home, they're even better on defense as they're allowing 10.4 points fewer per one or possessions at home rather than on the road. Big thing for them has been generating turnovers. And this is a George Mason team that, despite the fact that they are outside the top 200 in terms of possessions per game, they do turn the ball for 14 times per game. But they also do shoot about 37% from three-point range. Victor Bailey Jr., Devin Cooper, these two guys have been able to combine for about 23.5 points, 7.5 rebounds per game. And for Bailey, shoots 49% from three-point range. 
They've been without Devontae Gaines for quite a while, so that means that Ronald Polite has had to step up, and he's been able to do so with four assists, shooting about 35% from three-point range, and is coming off of 12 assists in the last few games as well. Meanwhile, for VCU, Ace Baldwin has been a little bit all over the place with their offense, but yet still, this team has been able to ascend with that regard, as they have scored at least 70 points in all but one of their games thus far this month, as they've been able to get Jaden Deloach going for seven boards, nine and a half points per game, Brandon Johns along with Baldwin. They combined for 24 and a half points. Brandon Johns not shooting him well from three. Baldwin, he shoots 43% from three. And even when Baldwin not clicking on L cylinders, when it comes to his offense, he still generates about two and a half seals per game for a VCU bunch at Turnovers are their lifeblood. They rank in the top 20 nationally in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. Their issue is they also do turn the ball over about 15 times per game. This is not a George Mason team that may necessarily seek out a bunch of seals, but it is a George Mason team that has been seeking out relatively solid defense, and they've been able to provide quite a bit of that. 72 points or fewer surrendered in three other last four games. It is a VCU team that they've given up 64 or fewer in each other last four games. It is a VCU team riding a five-game win streak, and I do think that they're going to be able to make it six. I do think that this is going to be a sloppier game that's going to be involving a lot of turnovers, but really on both sides of things, that George Mason does a relatively solid job of being able to guard the three-point arc. So I did set my total at a 133.5, a situation where I'm going to be taking a look at the under. I do think that Oduru could have a big game in this one, and I'm going to be willing to take the eight with George Mason. 669, 670 on the betting board. Saipon Adventure plays us a Fordham. Fordham is an underdog of three to three and a half points in your total between 132.5 and 133, and with Fordham, set them as a two-point underdog. I'm going to be looking to take the three with them for Fordham. Having Darius Gwinsberry, I think, is massive for them. He's a very good leader for this team. A steal, three and a half assists on 36% three-point shooting and 16 points per contest. Sometimes he can struggle a little bit with his scoring, but just four turnovers in the last four games, and that's big. Fordham has been looking to play a little bit more up-tempo, and as a result, they have been turning the ball over about 14 times per contest. It is a Fordham team that in terms of total possessions per game, they are now about 73rd in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Going up against Bonnie team that they're always relatively slow, about 270th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. The big thing for St. Bonaventure is clicking on all cylinders when it comes to their defense. And for the St. Bonaventure team, it's still a relatively solid defense, but you expect it typically for the team to be better than 108th. Now, they've got a nice home court advantage, and that bears out in their defensive numbers, giving up about 12.6 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than on the road. Fordham is within the state of New York. So going up to St. Bonaventure for this game, not going to phase them as much. And Fordham has been tremendous on defense. They are 38th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Big reason why they're a top-20 team in terms of block rate, so that's just merely the percentage of opponent shots that they do block as you've got Abdul Sibilia along with Rodislav Nivkovsky who have been able to combine for 3.6 blocks per contest. Sibilia gives you 7 rebounds per game. Nivkovsky, he's been able to give you more like 5 boards, but it's able to pop 3. So doesn't necessarily do so well, but they combine for about 13.5 points per game to lead more. 6.5 boards, 14 points per game. He's been able to do a nice job with that regard. And Antrell Charlton statutes up for 4 boards, 4 assists, 8 points per game. I absolutely love his game. And then for St. Bonaventure, they lost 99.9% of their scoring, so they've been in transition all year long. Daryl Banks, the third, 
Good sharpshooter for the team, making 37% of his threes, but also shoots 36.8% from the floor. So he's taking pretty much all threes at this point with his 16 points per game. Kyra Luch, who comes in from the Patriot League, 13 points, 4.5 assists, but for St. Bonaventure, you expect them to be able to take care of the ball a little bit more. 12.3 turnovers per contest with their slow style. Jan Farrell, Chad Venning, they've been able to combine for about 12.5 rebounds per game, and I do think that Fordham matches up really well on the glass. I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a grimy game as Fordham, even though they're playing a bit more up-tempo, their defense, it has been there. They have given up 64 points or fewer in three other last four games. Lone exception is when Dayton shot the lights out on them. Of course, that was my DK Nation pick that day. Go figure there. And for St. Bonaventure, they've been able to do a great, great job of batting down the hatches with their defense as well. 70 points or fewer for them and now four out of their last five games, but they've also given up 69 points or fewer and now six out of their last seven games and seven out of their last eight games. So I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a defense defense-oriented battle, but perhaps it's went just a little bit too low because I do expect a little bit of late-game felling. You do have a Fordham team that is relatively solid at the free throw line. St. Bonaventure right around 70% at the charity stripe. I set my total at a 134, so here at 132.5, 133, really the max I'm willing to go over on, but I'm willing to go over because of the close nature I am expecting with this game, and with that, I also did set St. Bonaventure as just a two-point favorite. We'll take the three-year with Fordham as we go to 671, 672 on the betting board. It is Satan, and they're going to be on the road facing off against Rhode Island. Rhode Island is between an 8 to an 8.5 point home underdog. And your total between 128.5 and 129.5. The good news for Dayton is that now they've got back to the full Kobe, Elvis, and Malachi Smith. And I've had to make a little bit of an adjustment from there. The bad news for Dayton is that they are still one of the slowest and grimiest teams in all of college basketball. And it makes it really hard to cover these sorts of numbers. I set my number at 7.5, so at 8 or more. It is my buy point on Rhode Island. Rhode Island, a mid-tempo team that has not been able to generate a lot of offense all season long, so they've had to rely upon their defense, which does rank 132nd the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, ironically, giving up 2.8 points more per 100 possessions at home rather than on the road, but you've got a nice duo on Brayon Freeman and Ishmael Leggett, who have been able to combine for 30.1 points, 5.5 assists, with both gentlemen shooting between 32.9 and 34.5% from 3-point range for Rhode Island budget. They only shoot about 30% from 3-point range. A big key for Rhode Island hanging in this game is down low. Malik Martin has been able to give you 6.5 rebounds per game, but he's really the only guy that gives you north of 6 boards per game without Joseph Blau down low. has been out since December. Has been a little bit tough for Rhode Island, but it feels like they are finding some pieces to be able to help out, and most specifically, Jalen Carey. Carey, a man that has been very well-traveled as he began his career at Syracuse, has had his ups and downs at Rhode Island. He's been able to chip in there five-plus rebounds in four of the last five games. It's not necessarily been too much of a score, but someone that's able to give the team a steal, a pair of assists, nine points per game. So his progression has been big. They go up against an Eaton team that down low. you got Dayron Holmes along to Monty Kamara combining for 17.1 rebounds per game. Holmes gives you two blocks, shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range with 18.5 points per game. Kamara, a little bit more of a designated rebounder with 13 points per game. Kobe Elvis along with Malachi Smith. They're still not necessarily quite 100%. They're working their way through. Like with Elvis, he played 13 minutes against George Washington at 8 points in that game last year. Shot 36.5% from three with 9 points per game. I think he probably plays more like 20 minutes in this game. And for Malachi Smith in that game against George Washington, 21 minutes. He had 12 points, 
three assists, no turnovers. You do like to see that he's a little bit closer to his full workload, which means that no longer do you need Mongolian Mike really being your main point guard, but these guys aren't quite 100%. I think that they will be in more like a week, so I sort of have them at 75% of what they typically are. Mustafa Amzil, 10.5 points, 5.5 rebounds per game, and even with Dayton, not necessarily having a lot of their guards for much of the season. This has been a tremendous defense, 13th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, giving up, though, a little bit more than 10 points more per one or possessions on the road rather than at home, but with Dayton, I alluded to their style, 318th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. The only reason why their game against George Washington on Saturday went over is many of you guys like me had that bad beat. 29 points in the final minute. I don't think that we're going to see any sort of a moose like that in this circumstance. I did set my total here at a 127.5. So seeing what we're seeing, this is a total that is currently at a 129 to 129.5 diving under. And at 8 or more, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Rhode Island. 673-674 on the betting board. Loyola of Chicago. It's a road face off against Duquesne. Duquesne is an 8.5 to a 9-point favorite. Your total is between 139 and 139.5. And, and with Duquesne, I did set them as a favorite of 8.5 points. 9 is my buy point on Loyal Chicago. And Loyal Chicago has been a bad cover team all season long. They have covered just four games all year, but they are coming off of their first win as an Atlantic Den member within the conference against St. Bonaventure. And for their defense, they seem to turn a little bit of a corner in that game. They had given up 75-plus points in each of their previous five games. It was not necessarily going well, and I think the big key for Loyal Chicago just not turning the ball over in general because they are going up against a Duquesne team that they generate about 7.7 swipes for contest. A Duquesne team that's right around 200th in terms of total possessions per game. Loyal Chicago is in that neighborhood as well, but typically their lack of taking care of the ball leads into bad defense because Loyal Chicago has always been known for relatively solid defense and the bigger is why they have not been able to duplicate that this season as currently they are 270th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis is because of 16.2 turnovers per game. That is one of the worst turnover marks in all of college basketball. We've seen a lot of guys take steps back like a Braden Norris was able to give you 10.5 points for assists but 2.5 turnovers per game. Brandon Schweiger has turned the ball over 2.5 times for contest. You've got a team that in general shoots 33.5% from three-part range with Philip Olsen leading the way with 14 points, six rebounds per game. Loyal Chicago typically plays positionless basketball, but I think that they do hang in this game because Duquesne, they're a team that they don't necessarily have a ton down low. You do get 5.9 rebounds per game out of Austin Rotroff, but we have seen him completely fall off the table. Four rebounds or fewer in four out of the last five games. I have no idea why, but he's sort of been in the doghouse and nobody else on this team Gives you north of 4.9 rebounds per game. Now, I will say this for Duquesne. Among their top five scorers, every single one of them gives you at least 4.1 rebounds per game. And nobody gives you more than 4.9 rebounds per game. So, very much balanced rebounding there. RJ Gunn, who is out of the fold to begin the season, he has come back. He's given the team double figures in four of the last five games that he's played in. So, that's been beneficial. And then, Dady Grant, he's shooting 42% from three, 15 points per game. He's going to be the top scorer in this game. But we have seen Duquesne be a little bit inconsistent with their offense and they seem to be hitting a little bit of a wall themselves as they have been held below 60 points and now each other last two games after they had scored 70 plus in each other previous three. Defense has been all over the place as well as they've given up 70 points or fewer in 
three out of their last five games, but they also allowed 80 points to St. Joe's as well. So these are a pair of teams that they have been very streaky with that regard. It's a pair of mid-tempo teams that don't necessarily do the world's greatest job of being able to bat down the hatches on defense who came to unearth in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. But massive question marks with this loyal Chicago offense as well. So I did something I told at 140 and a half. It's a circumstance of something's got to give. I do think that late game felling does give you a good possibility for an over in loyal Chicago and give it up 75 plus points in all but one game thus far this month. So, and I do think that you've got a decaying team that is going to get a little bit more online with their offense. So I'm going to be willing to go over in this spot. And with Duquesne, set them as an eight and a half point favorite. So nine or more, my buy point on loyal Chicago. If we see this good back down to an eight or less, I'd be willing to lay it with Duquesne. 675, 676 on the betting board. Richmond, it's the road to face off against UMass. UMass and Richmond are in a pick'em game and your total is between 137 half and 139. And with UMass, I did set them as the two-point underdog. I'm going to be willing to take Richmond outright on the money line for UMass. They're dealing with injuries once again. Nothing new for this team. Noah Fernandez is back out of the fold, has missed the last few games, and he's the team's top scorer. 13 and a half points, four assists, shooting 45% from three-point range, and from there, you just have to mix and match, as you've got RJ Luis, long DeAndre Dominguez, TJ Weeks, all giving between 8.3 and 9.5 and points per game. They combine to give you about 12 rebounds per contest, and they all shoot between 39 and 41.5% from three-point range. Matt Cross, he chips in there about 7 boards, 12 points per game, but he is the only guy in the roster that gives you north of 4.5 rebounds per game, and Richmond should be able to dominate with having the best player out there on the floor in Tyler Burton. 19.5 points, 7.5 boards, shoots about 33% from three-point range, and then 7-footer Neil Quinn has good versatility. Gives you just under 3 assists, 8 points, 4.5 rebounds per contest. The Citadel transfer, Jason Roche, he's a nice 6 foot 5 combo player, knocks down 40% of his threes, doesn't score a ton, only about 7 points per game, and he's had 5 points for fear in 4 of the last 5 contests, but a relatively solid on-ball defender for a Richmond team that's looking to play relatively slow and controlled. This Richmond team in the neighborhood about 300th in terms of total possessions per game. You've got a UMass team that they're in the top 75 in terms of total possessions per game. And UMass, despite all the injuries, they've actually been a relatively solid defense. They rank 93rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. I will say only giving up half a point less per one earned possessions at home rather than on the road. So they haven't necessarily experienced a ton of home cooking there. And it is a Richmond team that... They're right around 88th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Both of these teams have been very up and down. They're 11-8 and eight and 11-9 and nine respectively. And for Richmond, it is a squad that has failed to get past the 65-point plateau in each of their last four games. For UMass, it's been a slog for them on offense as well ever since they have seen out of the fold Noah Fernandez. They have not been able to get past 70 points, so... I do think that that means that this game is going to be played a little bit more on Richmond's slow and controlled terms. As a result, I did set my total at 136, diving under it, because I do think that Richmond gets their game. I do think that they win this thing outright, set them as a two-point favorite. So, taking Richmond on the pick line, along with the under. 677-678 on the betting board. George Washington plays us to St. Joe's. St. Joe's hopes to not be average Joe's as 3.5 to 4-point underdogs. Your total is 152.5. And with St. Joe's, I did set them as an underdog of 5.5 points. I'm going to be willing to lay with George Washington. George Washington seems to be building up strength, and I mean, I don't know why we continue to keep undermining George Washington. We saw him in the Battle of Trenton. We saw him at Yorktown. The guy's gotten the job done for over 200 years, and he's not slowing down anytime soon, especially when he's got a bishop. James Bishop IV has won the best scores in all of college basketball. As a matter of fact, he ranks in the top eight in all of college basketball in terms of points per game. 21.9 points, 5.3 assists, only shoots about 30.5% from three, but 
Behind them, Maximilian Edwards and Brendan Adams. They both shoot 35% from three-point range. Adams, 16.5 points, 2.5 assists per contest. Meanwhile, you got Edwards chipping in their 5.5 boards, 7.5 points per game. Hunter Dean, Ricky Lindo Jr. combined for 12 re- rebounds with Lindo, giving you 9.5 points per contest. It's a George Washington team that does like a little bit of depth, but you know who else likes depth? St. Joe's, who has not been able to get anything whatsoever out of a Jaquipe Obiana, who last season was very good for the team with 12 points, 8 rebounds per game. He's had a massive fall. 7 points, 4.5 rebounds, coming off of scoring just 2 points in 15 minutes in the team's previous game against UMass. I will say this for St. Joe's. They actually come in riding a little bit of a 3-game win streak. And the defense has played better in this time span. They have actually given up 68 points or fewer in 4 of their last 5 games. you got to give a little bit of credit where credit is due. But I think a lot of that is a competition that they play, playing against LaSalle, along Floyd, Chicago, Fordham, some of your teams that leave a little bit of something to be desired on the offensive side of things. And St. Joe's still 175th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. George Washington has certainly had an issue as well, 274th in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but giving up 13.6 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than on the road. Played a moose of an over against Dayton. I alluded to that a little bit earlier, but it is their George Washington team that they're clicking on also there's when it comes to their offense. 74-plus points in each other last four games. And for this George Washington team, they've been able to get past 70 points and now five out of their last seven games. They are a team that is a mid-tempo team. At St. Joe's, they're a little bit more up-tempo, but it's not like they're really cranking up their pace as well. And they've only got two main scorers. Eric Reynolds the second along Cam Brown. They combine for about 32 points per game. And Brown, she's 45% for three. Reynolds more around 37% from the outside past that. You have Lynn Greer chipping there, four and a half boards, four and a half assists, nine points per game. Doesn't necessarily shoot it well from three-point range, and St. Joe's is just a little bit of a one-dimensional team. I think that George Washington just flat out is a better team in this spot. Made them a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Could to be willing to lay the number, and did something I told on 147.5. I do think that there is something to St. Joe's playing a little bit better on defense than George Washington. Not necessarily a team that's going to be playing with a bunch of possessions, so this is a circumstance where I'm going to be willing to take a look at the under, and I'm willing to lay the number with our nation's first president. 679, 680 on the betting board. It is UNC Greensboro. They play us a VMI. VMI is a 16 to a 16 and a half point underdog. 131 to 132 and a half is your total. And with VMI, set them as a 15 and a half point underdog. I certainly do think that UNC Greensboro is doing a solid job, and I think that they should be a nice size favorite. I think we've went a little bit too far here. Now for VMI. The defense is not there for them. They're in the bottom 30 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and that is the opposite of our good friends UNC Greensboro. It's 52nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Greensboro, it's not a big difference, but they're allowing four-tenths of a point more per 100 possessions at home rather than on the road. So I do find that to be a little bit intriguing, and it is a Greensboro team that they play at a pretty controlled place, 233rd in the country in terms of total possessions per game. It's a VMI team that more on tour and 60th in terms of total possessions per game. means why they play high-scoring games is just flat out because they hit their threes and they don't necessarily do the world's greatest job on defense. But for VMI, we've seen a little bit of a tempo shift for them recently. They have scored 67 points or fewer in each other last four games. And now they've given up. It doesn't sound like much, but 72 points or fewer in four of the last five games. Last time these two teams played, UNC Greens 
Greensboro got the win by a count of 72 to 57 in that game. Greensboro went 8 of 19 from three-point range, won the turnover battle by a count of 17 to 9. They won the rebound battle by about two, and I do think that VMI is going to be able to play a little bit better in this spot. Greensboro does a good job shutting down the three-point arc, and VMI did go 6 of 21 from distance in that game. Overall for the season, VMI shoots about 38% from three-point range with Sean Conway, Escher Woods combining for about 28.7 points, a little bit under 12 rebounds per game, and then pass that, you've been able to get 10 points, three and a half assists out of Tony Felder, eight points, five boards out of Ricky Bradley Jr. So some nice statue suffers on them for UNC Greensboro. You've got the Langley brothers who have been able to do a really nice job. Your main score is Keyshawn Langley, 14 points on 42.5% three-point shooting in Greensboro. It's been much better with their three-point shooting with Langley being a main headline scorer for the team as he has been very consistent being able to give the team at least 16 points and now six out of the team's last seven contests for the season. Greensboro shooting about 34.7% from three-point range and then his brother Kobe Langley only chips in there five points per game but three-point is eight assists, 1.9 steals per game and Greensboro they've cut down the turnovers down to 12 per game. We got Mohamed Abdul-Salam giving you 6.5 points, 6.5 rebounds per game. Someone like VCU transfer, Mikhail Brown-Jones has been able to give you 11 points. So it's a nice whole is greater than the sum of its parts approach from Greensboro. But I do expect VMI to play a little bit better than they did the first time around. I do think that their three-point shooting is going to be going upward. And we are noticing the tempo shift from VMI. They have played at a pace of 64.8 possessions per game in their last three contests. Down about four possessions from what they've been for the entirety of the season. Season. And last time these teams hooked up, it was a 15-point game. I expect something relatively similar here. I do think that Greensboro is going to be able to slow this game down once again. I did set my total at a 134. I think we've went down a little bit too low just because we are seeing Greensboro now launching their offense a tad bit more as they've been able to get to at least 68 points and now seven out of their last eight games. So I'm going to be willing to go over because I do think that VMI shoots a little bit better than 29% from three-point range in this spot, but also made my number a 15 and a half, sort of thinking that we get what we got the first time around. So we'll take 16 plus here with VMI and the over. 681, 682 on the betting board. Say my Amford is a red face off against Furman. Furman is a favorite of six half to six points in your total. It is 150 to 115 and a half. With Furman, I set them as a 10 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Sam I Amford. They've done a very good job of being able to mix and match. They've been without Quest Glover for much of the season. He's played just nine games this campaign, and they've had Logan Dye along Jermaine Marshall really be their main two headline scorers. A pair of guys with size that are able to pop some threes as they combine to shoot about 37.5% from the outside. They combine for a little bit over 12.5 rebounds and two steals per game. And Bucky McMillan, who typically plays a style of generating a lot of steals, has really throttled back on that. They only generate about 7.5 steals per game. This team does. AJ Sand McRae has been the main guy on defense. 7 points, 3.5 boards, 1.7 steals per game. But I think that this is a bad matchup for them. Furman is coming in firing all cylinders. They put up a 96 spot against a Wofford team that really doesn't play with a lot of pace. And for Furman, they have gotten to 70 points in every single game that they have played this month. And for that matter, this is a Furman team that they have been held below 70 points just once in the last two months. With Furman, you've got Mike Bothwell along Jalen Slauson, who combined for 35 points per game. And Slauson can give you a triple-double on any given night. 15 points, 7 boards, 3.5 assists, 1.5 steals per game. Shoots 37% from 3. Bothwell, he shoots more like 35.5% from 3. And it is a Furman team that they do leave a little bit of something to be desired on defense. It's a mid-tempo Furman team that in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. They rank currently 230th in all of college basketball. Meanwhile, it's a Sam I. Amford team that 
It's not like they've been tremendous on defense themselves, right around 180th in the country in terms of possessions per game. It took them a little bit to be able to find sort of their footing without Quez Glover, and they have had to play a little bit slower this year. As a result, it's a Sanford team that in terms of possessions per game, they're more around 194th. But with Sanford, I do think that they're going to be able to hold in this game. I think that they do a nice job down low, but matching up with someone like a Garrett Hine, who's able to give this Furman team 8 points on 41% three-point shooting. They get 11 points, 5 boards out of Marcus Foster, who's shooting nearly 40% from three-point range. I do think that that's going to be taking a toll on a Sanford team that you got to give a lot of credit to them. They've been able to win 8 straight games, and the defense, it has been a lot more tight as they have given up 68 points or fewer in far of their last 5 games. I think that they're going to meet their match against this Furman team, though. I did set Furman as the 7-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the 6-6.5. I did set my total at a 147. With Sanford playing at a lower tempo, Furman is efficient, but they're not necessarily super-duper fast. I'm willing to take the under to go along with Furman. 683-684 on the betting board. It is Pittsburgh, and they're going to be playing as Wake Forest. Wake Forest is an underdog of 3 points. In your total, it is 148-149. to I did set Pittsburgh as a 2.5-point favorite, so 3 is my absolute minimum buy point on Wake Forest, but I'm willing to buy in on Wake Forest. Been very impressed by Tyree Appleby for Wake Forest. He's eaten good in the neighborhood with 18 points, 6 assists, 2 steals per game while shooting 40% from 3-point range for a Wake Forest team that they are 200th in the country. It turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, but they're really good on offense, shooting 37.5% from 3-point range. Jamari Monsanto, Cameron Hildreth, they've been able to combine for 26 points. Hildreth, he already has a triple-double to his credit against Hampton earlier this season. He chips in there 6.5 rebounds. 3 assists, 1.3 steals per game. So I really like the makeup of this team. And then Pittsburgh, they've left a little bit of something to be desired on defense themselves, but they've become one of your more efficient offenses out in the ACC as well. It's a Pittsburgh team that in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, ranks in the top 50 nationally, more on 100th in terms of their defensive efficiency with Jamarius Burton, Blake Kinson headlining things with a little bit over 32 points, about 11.5 rebounds with both shooting between 35.5 and 37.5% from three-point range for Pittsburgh. They've done a good job cutting down on the turnovers, more like 12 per game. Nelly Cummings, who comes in from the Patriot League, 4.5 assists, 10 points per game. Not a great three-point shooter, but a 94% free-throw shooter for a Pittsburgh team that, in a late-game following situation, they do shoot about 75% at the free-throw line, but... They don't have a ton down low. The only guy on the team that gives you north of five and a half rebounds per game is Blake Hinson because they are without John Hughley for the rest of the season. So they've been looking to Frederico. Frederico down low. Great name. He's been able to give the team quite a bit down low as he's been able to chip in there about 18 rebounds over the last three games. And he's been a really good rim protector as he's been able to chip in their 10 blocks in the last five contests. So that is going to be beneficial for them. But I do think that Wake Forest is starting to really hum. They do lose that game against Virginia. But that said, prior to that, they were on a four-game win streak and they had scored 80-plus points in their previous four games before going up against one of the slowest teams in all of college basketball. It is a Pittsburgh team that they themselves have been able to do a little bit more on defense as well, giving up 71 points or fewer in each other previous three games. Offense seems to be slowing down a little bit more, 71 points or fewer in three of their last four games. So an interesting ordeal. I did set my total at a 148 and a half. So I'm sort of in between the 148 and 149 that we are seeing. 
I'm right now seeing mostly 148s, and at a 148, I would personally rather have that over rather than an under, because I do think that this is going to be a game that could very easily land in the late game felling ordeals, and we do have a Wake Forest team that certainly has been playing high-scoring games despite the fact that they don't push a lot of tempo. So looking at a 148 over, and with Wake Forest, three is my buy point on them. We go to 685, 686 on the betting board. It is Wisconsin on the road facing off against Maryland. Maryland is a favorite of five to five and a half points, and your total on this game is between 125 and a half and 126 with Maryland. I do think that they should be the favorite, but I can only place them as a four-point favorite. This is a Maryland bunch that ever since really they played that game against UCLA, we have been seeing a little bit of a downward turn for them. And for Wisconsin, it's a tight turnaround because they did just play on Monday, but I'm going to be willing to take the points with them because now they've got Tyler Wall back the fold and his main scorer for this team. As really for Wisconsin, you got three guys that on any given day, they could be your top scorer. Chucky Eppern, Stephen Crawl, and Tyler Wall all average between 12.7 and 12.8 points per game. Wall and Crawl a combined 13 rebounds per game. Crawl a 7-footer, chips in their 3 assists per game. Neither of these guys shoot threes well, but they shoot threes. And then Eppern, he shoots 46.5% from three in Wisconsin as a whole. They shoot 36% from the outside. It's a Wisconsin team that we know what to expect out of them. They're very slow, very grimy in the bottom 40 in terms of total possessions per game. And it is a Wisconsin team that they rank right around 78th in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but allowing fewer points per possession on the road rather than at home. Very surprising considering the Cole Center has such a good home court advantage feel. And with Maryland, they are a team that they rank right around 69th. Very nice in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Maryland, not a team that's looking to push tempo either. They're right around 270th in terms of possessions per game, and they do a solid job down low as well. Julian Reese, Dante Scott, they combine for 22 points, about 13 rebounds per game. A Maryland team that they leave a lot to be desired in terms of their three-point shooting, making 30.1% of their threes at home, fewer than 32% of their triple tries with Jameer Young really becoming that main deadline score. I like his game. 15 points, five boards, three assists. He is clearly the team's closer at this point. And for Maryland, things got a little bit topsy-turvy for them towards the beginning part of the new year slash the back half of December. Things have been able to stabilize from there as their defense. It has been able to stabilize, giving up fewer than 60 points in each of the previous two games. And for that matter, it is a defense for Maryland that has given up fewer than 70 points in all but pretty much three of their games thus far this season. Them scoring 67 points or fewer in five out of their last six games. It's a Wisconsin team that they have not been able to get past a 70-point plateau this calendar year as well. So I do expect a little bit more of a low-scoring slog. I do think that this is going to be close to the point, though, that we do get late-game fouling. And Wisconsin is a team that's able to shoot it well from three-point range with Connor Season being able to chip in there right around 12.5 points, shooting 46% from three-point range. I think we went a little bit too low with this total. I set my total at a 128. So a circumstance where I'm going to be willing to go over in this ordeal. And with Maryland, set them as a four-point favorite. So at 5.5, going to be willing to take the points with Wisconsin. Wisconsin to go along with this total over 687, 688 on the betting board. You've got Florida, and they're going to be playing us to South Carolina. South Carolina is an underdog of 16 to 17 points, and your total is 132.5 to 133.5. And with Florida, I did set them as a favorite of 16 points here at 17. It is my buy point on South Carolina for South Carolina. They've been all over the place. They went outright as a 19-point underdog against Kentucky, and ever since then, they've gotten completely bludgeoned, losing that game to Texas A&M by 41. They lose by double figures at home to Ole Miss. They get crushed by Auburn, so not been great there. And for Florida, it's been a real lack of offense for them as they've scored 67 points or fewer in three of the last four games, and they've really done a good job on defense. 64 points or fewer surrendered in each of their last four games, and the reason why is Colin Castleton. Castleton, about 15 points, 7.8 
3.8 rebounds, 3 blocks per contest. It is a Florida team that their three-point shooting, it can be a little bit hit or miss. They've dealt with some moving pieces in the backcourt as they were expecting to have a little bit more out of C.J. Felder. He's now left the program, but overall for Florida, they only shoot about 33.5% for three with Will Richard being really the only guard. They can see double figures. 10 points per contest on 43.5%. Three-point shooting, Trey Bottom. He's been able to give you eight points. It's about 36% from three, but you've got a lot of guys that are just dudes in that backcourt. Meanwhile, for South Carolina, they really rely upon Gigi Jackson, who's been able to give you 16 points per game and he has scored in double figures in all but three games this season but those three games have come within the last six contests though he is coming off of a nice 30 point performance against Auburn it has been interesting to watch Aiden Brown a little bit of an undersized forward who is able to give you about 11 points five rebounds per game for a South Carolina team that they shoot 31 half percent from three and less than 40 percent from the floor 65 percent of the free line though I do like the game of Miki Johnson three and a half assists Shoots about 32% from three-part range. Has been able to give the team double figures in four of the last five games. And it's cut down on the turnovers. He's been only giving out right around six turnovers over the last three games. So it's not been too bad, but hasn't necessarily helped this team out. And for the defensive side of things, South Carolina, it has been a disaster. 314th in the country. Turns the points a lot on a per-possession basis. I alluded to Florida. They are currently now 28th in the country with this regard. So you've got a strength on weakness sort of ordeal in this spot. But I do think that South Carolina Carolina going to be able to hold in there. They find ways to just be very close to the number. I have no idea how. I have no idea why. Maybe it's because Chico Garter has really been your main scorer. 11 points, shooting 46% from three-point range. He does a tremendous job from the outside. But with that said, I do think that we have gotten up maybe just a little bit too lofty with a Florida team that is having a tough time being able to generate points. I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a grimy game. I did set my total at a 134. 133.5 is the absolute max I'm willing to go over on. But I'm willing to go over just because you do have an inefficient South Carolina defense, but I do think that they'll find a way to get some points up on the board on a Florida team that, even though the defense has been tremendous, I think that they've been a little bit of beneficiaries of good shooting luck in general, so this is a spot in which I'm going to be looking at the over and looking at the 17 with South Carolina. 689-690 is the DK Nation pick. We've got Georgia on the road facing off against Tennessee. Tennessee is a favorite of 16 to 16 and a half points. Totals between 134 and 135, and I said my total at 127.5. DK Nation pick, that is going to be on the under. You've got a Tennessee team that ranks number one in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and it's a Georgia team that they've been able to get to at least 70 points in eight out of their last 10 games, but it's not like this is necessarily the world's most efficient offense, 159th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. A pair of teams are locking down from three-point range. Georgia 13th in opponents' three-point shooting percentage, and Tennessee, get this, they're allowing opponents to shoot 19.9% from three-point range. That is not a typo. 19.9% from three-point range. You've got a Tennessee team that is 7th in all of college basketball in terms of rebound rate. Guys that were out of the fold a little bit earlier in the season, like Josiah Jordan-James. You had Santiago Vescovi out for a few games. I know that you had Tyree Key out for a game or two. It looks like these guys are all good to go. And for Tennessee, very balanced scoring as you've got six different guys that give you between 9.2 and 12.5 points per game. Vescovi is your main scorer with 12.5 points. Shoots about 34.5% from three. And then Zakai Ziegler, Olivier Kamwa, along Josiah Jordan-James, Tyree Key, and Julian Phillips. They all give between 9.2 and 10.6 points per game. You've only got one of these guys in key giving you fewer than three rebounds per game. And Phillips is the only guy that gives you north of five. Five and a half rebounds per game is the Tennessee team, though, that they do have a tough time taking care of the ball. Both Tennessee and Georgia rank between 260th and 265th 
in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis. And then you got Scary Terry Roberts along with Kerry Oquendo on the flip side for Georgia. They've done a nice job being able to give the team a combined 29.5 points. They shoot about a combined 33% from three-point range. Georgia as a whole, they shoot 34% from the outside against the Tennessee defense. It's going to be tough, and they're going to have a little bit of a tough time competing on the glass. You've had Matthew Moncrief along with Braylon Bridges combined for about 10 rebounds per game, so they've been able to do a relatively okay job, but they're currently dealing with having to move on from Kyron Lindsay, who decided that he was going to be entering in the transfer portal, so that hurt them a little bit, but Georgia, they've been able to do a good job of hanging in a lot of these games. I will say they are coming off of giving up 80-plus points in three of their last five games, but this is a Tennessee team that I still don't necessarily trust their offense. I recognize that they've gotten to at least 70 points in four of their last five games with both of these teams locked down from the three-point arc. You've got a Tennessee team that ranks in the top 10 nationally in terms of turnovers force on a per-possession basis as well. I think that you get a lot of dead possessions. Tennessee has given up 68 points or fewer in all but two of their games thus far this season. I do think that Georgia is going to bat down the hatches in terms of their defense. DK Nation pick is on the under. Semi-tall at 127.5 and for Tennessee. Do have my question mark still a little bit with their three-point shooting. I think they get the job done and they win convincingly, but 16.5, a little bit too rich for my blood. Semi number at 15.5, so we'll take 16 plus with Georgia and the DK Nation pick that's on this total under 691 692 on the betting board. Chattanooga is going to be playing us Wofford. Wofford's between a three and four point underdog and your total is between 146 and 146 half. Got a pair of teams that are two of the least efficient defenses in all of college basketball and with Chattanooga I set them as a seven point favorite because they've got Jake Stevens who is going to be the best player out there on the floor. Jake Stevens is a true seven footer that chips in there a little bit over 20 points. Two blocks per contest. Shoots over 40% from three-point range. Pulls in their darn near 10 rebounds per game. This guy is a total package. For Wofford, they rank in the bottom 40 nationally in terms of possessions per game. And Chattanooga is a little bit more of a slow possession team as well that ranks in the bottom 100 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. But even their defense is better than Wofford's. And it's 295th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis with Wofford giving up 11 more points per 100 possessions in a road-slash-neutral court environment than they do at home. And for Wofford, you do have a guy in B.J. Mack that I like. He's able to give you 15 half points per game. But last year, he was shooting about 45% from three. That's down to more like 31.5% from distance this season. Jackson Pavelski has done a good job running this offense. 3.7 assists, 14 points per game. You've had also Messiah Jones come back. He chipped in their five boards, nine points per game. Clyde Tripp is able to give you some offense. And for Chattanooga, it is a little bit of a top-heavy team, but the Auburn transfer in Jamal Johnson, 13 points, 38.5% three-point shooter. And Chattanooga's whole. They shoot 37% from three. They take care of the ball with 12 turnovers per game. Wofford's not a team that is going to generate a lot of seals, and they don't turn the ball over a lot themselves. But take a look at this Wofford group. 76-plus points surrendered in three of their last four games. It is an offense that they've been able to get to 70 in four of their last five games. You've got a Chattanooga bunch at they have gotten fewer than 70 points at each other the last two games. That has been a rarity, though. Prior to that, they had gotten to at least 70 points at each other previous three games, and it is a Chattanooga team that, by and large, has been able to do a tremendous job on offense, a not-so-tremendous job on defense. You got a pair of teams that they're very efficient on offense, they're very inefficient on defense, but I do think that Stevens is a big X-factor in this game. As a result, I did set Chattanooga as a seven-point favorite. I do think that both of these teams are going through a little bit of a run on offense. I think that Wofford, after giving up 96 points 
They're firm, and they seem to be a little bit of a zigzag team where after a really, really bad performance, they do seem to play a little bit more slowly and offered in the bottom 40 in terms of possessions per game. I did think that they're going to play a little bit better on defense, but as a result, they're going to lose a little bit of something on offense. So I did set my total at 143. I'm diving under with Chattanooga. Set them as a seven-point favorite. Want to lay the number 693-694 on the betting board. You've got good old EWPUI, IUPUI on the road facing off against Fort Wayne. IPFW, IPFW is a favorite of 18 points, and your total is 138-139, to and this is a total that I did set a little bit more low at 132.5. I'm willing to dive under and with IUPUI. Made them a 20.5 point underdog. I am going to be willing to lay the points. This is an IPFW team that all of a sudden is a top 100 team in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. I like the way that they have been able to progress there. And they've got Ari Kapati who's going to be able to control things down low. He's been able to give IPFW right around 6.5 points. A little bit over 8 rebounds per game. And for IUPUI, Chris Olsen. He's been able to give the team about 10 points, 7 rebounds per game. Only guy in the roster that gives you north of 4 rebounds per game. They're really relying upon a pair of gentlemen and Vincent Brady, coupled with Jalen Counter, to be able to give you points. They combine for about 24 to 25 points per game, but this is still an IPUI team that ranks in the bottom 100 in terms of possessions per game. IPFW, they're more of a top 100 team in terms of total possessions per game, but I did think that for IEPUI, it's going to be very tough after the last time these two teams played. It was a 70-55 loss on their home floor where IEPUI went just 1 of 12 from 3-point range. They only turned the ball over 12 times. IPFW was more than willing to play at their very slow, very grimy pace, and I think that they're going to be willing to do so once again. And for IEPUI, despite the fact that they're a team that they play quite slowly, they do give up the points as they rank in the bottom 35 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. Jared Goffrey has been that main score for IPFW, and it is really a set sheet stuff for 16 points, 5 boards, 4 assists. And then the ancillary pieces like Quentin Morton Robinson, who's able to give you eight and a half points, shoots it relatively solidly from three-point range. They should be able to take hold. This team went just a few weeks ago to IUPUI, won that game by 15 points with IUPUI, just not being able to get anything going whatsoever. And I do think that we're going to see similar domination in this game, and I think that it could be a little bit higher scoring IUPUI has been able to play a little bit better on offense recently, but for everything that they've done on offense, we've seen a little bit of defensive fall off. That said, I do think that IPFW going to be able to do a very solid job holding down IUPUI like we did saw in the first go-round. So I did set my total 132.5. I'm looking at the under, and with IEPUI, made them a 20.5-point underdog. I'm going to be willing to lay the 18 here with IPFW. 695-696 on the bank board. Houston hits the road face-off against Central Florida. Central Florida is a home underdog of between 8 and 9 points in your total. It is 125.5 to 126 with Houston. I did set them as a favorite of 8 points. Here at 9, it is my buy point on Central Florida. Now, with Central Florida, they've been dealing with an injury to Darius Johnson. He has been really a great piece for the Central Florida team. He's already missed a little bit of time this year. This is going to be pretty much the... 10th game that he's missed, but you tell that he has a profound impact on this team, especially on the defensive side of things. Two and a half steals, 12 points per contest, but you do have a guy that I really like in six foot nine, Taylor Hendricks. I think he's going to be key in this game for Central Florida. Shooting 39% for three, 1.8 blocks. Chips in there, 14 and a half points, seven rebounds per game, and 
He has been so gosh darn consistent between 12 and 15 points in each of the last five games. You've got C.J. Kelly, Ithiel Horton. They've been able to combine for about 24.5 points per contest, four assists between the two of them with Kelly. Shooting 40% for three, and for Central Florida, they do shoot 36% from three. Big bugaboo for them has been just taking care of the ball. It's a Central Florida team that has been playing at a clip of about 200th in terms of possessions per game, yet they turn the ball over 14 times per game, and these are two of the better defensive teams that you're going to find in all of college basketball. Houston, number two in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and Central Florida, we've seen a little bit of a fall off without Johnson, but they're still 36th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Without Johnson, I will say this, they're giving up right around 15.5 points more per one or possession, so that is important to note, and you do have a Houston team that certainly come into their own with their offense, stands that game, and we saw against Temple. Temple was able to lock them down. I think that that was just a Murphy's Law sort of game for a Houston team that they do shoot 35.5% for three. And Houston is a top 10 team in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. We always talk about the defense with this team. The offense, it has been good with Marcus Sasser being an All-American candidate. 16.5 points, three assists, 36.5% three-point shooter Jarris Walker throwing their Traymon Mark Juwan Roberts. Now will give you between 9.7 and 10.1 points per contest. Walker and Roberts combined for 13.5 rebounds with Walker also shooting about 35.5% from three. Mark is able to give you two assists and a seal per contest and Jabal Shedd. He does a nice job of really running a Houston team that only turns the ball over 10 times per game. He's done a good job giving up five assists. The two turnovers per game, chipping in their eight and a half points per game. Even some like a Javier Francis has been able to give you about six and a half points per game. So I do think that Houston going to be able to get it done in this spot, but we have been seeing the defense have a few more falters recently, and we have been seeing that this is a team that's prone to some cold shooting nights. This is a Central Florida team that they're coming off of giving up 77 plus points at each other last three games. They've had a little bit of bad shooting luck in there, and they did have a double overtime game as well. Offense has honestly been fine get, getting 69 plus points in each other last four games. I do think that this is a total that's had a little bit too low. Both defenses have been pretty rock solid, but without Johnson, we are noticing Central Florida playing a little bit more of an up-tempo style, so I did set my total at a 126. I'm going to be willing to take a look at the over on 125.5, and here with Central Florida, willing to take 9 with them, set them as an 8-point underdog. 697-698 on the betting board. It is Temple, and we give our ode to Lane Kiffin. Go Owls. They're going to be playing us to South Florida. South Florida, between a 5.5 and a 6-point underdog. Your total is between 139 and 139.5, and, and with South Florida, set them as a 6.5-point underdog. There's a lot of people that really look to fade teams after a big giant win like we saw with Temple, but I think that this could be a win that propels them moving forward. Coming off of a big win as a 20-point underdog against Houston, and they do have a nice backcourt they like in K-Leaf battle along Damian Dunn. They combine for about 32 points per game. They combine to shoot about 34% from three-point range. I just felt like Temple was a little bit underachieving to begin the season, a little bit of bad luck, but we have seen some of the best of Temple. They were able to knock off Rutgers on a neutral court. I recognize that Villanova Nova is down this year, but they've got a win to their credit over Villanova. They were very close in their game against St. John's as well, so, I mean, they've been able to play well against good competition. They've also lost to Maryland Eastern Shore on their own floor, so they've been all over the place. They've been dealing with an injury to Jamal Reynolds down low. That's been the reason why they don't necessarily have great rebounding, but you do have someone like a Jill Leo White who's able to give you five and a half points, five and a half boards. Shakur Junku had a big block towards the back half of that game against Houston, and then Nick Jordan has really been able to step up as well. Someone who had a nice freshman year 
here. Wasn't necessarily able to duplicate that towards the early part of this season, but now six blocks in the last three games, he's starting to rise up. And for South Florida, this team is still relatively okay on defense, but they have taken a little bit of a drop-off with their defense to be able to focus on their offense. It's a South Florida team that turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. They're more around 150th in the country. And for Temple, they're leaving a little bit more to be desired than in past seasons as well. But that Houston game was able to get them back online. Temple 112th in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. Interestingly enough, giving up 6.2 points more per one on possessions at home rather than on the road. But you got Tyler Harris for the South Florida team. He's been really a main scorer. 17 points per game, shooting 40% from three. South Florida lies here. Dead last in the country in three-point shooting percentage. Up to 33.7% three-point shooting this season. They still shoot 66% the free throw line. That gives you trepidation in a spread like this. Russell Chewa down low, 7.8 boards, 11.5 points per game. You've been able to have Sam Hines Jr. along with Keyshawn Bryant combined for about 10.5 rebounds per game as well. But South Florida seems to really rely upon Tyler Harris, who is a good takeover scorer and has been able to lead this team to at least 69 points in each of the last four games. But mention it with South Florida. I mean, this defense is not quite what we were expecting. They have now given up at least 70 points in each of their last five games. Last time, nailed an opponent to below 70. That was ironically enough when they played against Temple. That was a 68-64 to game. Both teams went a combined 6 of 27 from three-point range in that one, but you also did see Temple go 23 of 26 at the free throw line. It was turnovers and just sloppy play in general. A combined 35 turnovers, and I do think that we're going to see a little bit more free-flowing offense in this one, but I do think that South Florida going to be able to buckle down a little bit more on defense, and I do think that Temple going to be able to build positive momentum off of that win that we saw against Houston. I'm willing to lay up to six with Temple, set them as a six-half point favorite, and I do think that we're going to get another under game. I set my total at 137.5. Temple building momentum on the defensive side of things with that win against Houston as they have now allowed 61 points or fewer in each other previous three games. So, looking at the under and one to lay with Temple. 699.700 on the betting board. Texas Tech plays us West Virginia. West Virginia is an underdog of three to three and a half points with your total between 142 and 142.5 with Texas Tech. I did set them as a favorite of just two points, so we'll take the three and a half with West Virginia. This is ironically enough a battle of two of the dregs in this conference and when West Virginia and Texas Tech are your dregs of the conference you know just how good this conference is because you do have a Texas Tech team that they're still ranked in the top 40 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. West Virginia they're closer to 100th. West Virginia a little bit more of an offense based team as they've had Kadrian Johnson, couple of Joe Toussaint combined for 6 assists about 20.5 points per game and it's a West Virginia team that they shoot about 35.5% from 3 point range. For Texas Tech it's just all about what they're going to be able to do down low. As it's a Texas Tech team riding a 7 game losing streak but it's not like they're getting blown out in these games against Oklahoma. That game goes to overtime. They lose by two on the road against Texas. They lose by seven to Baylor. They lose by ten on the road against Kansas State. So it's not like they're getting bludgeoned in these games. And for West Virginia, they've lost four of their last five, but they go to overtime against Kansas State. They lose by eight against Texas. They lose by one on the road against Oklahoma. They lose by five to Baylor. I mean, these teams are right there, and I think what is going to be very key for Texas Tech in terms of getting online is Kevin O'Banner. 14.5 points, 6 boards, shoots about 33% from 3 as a nice six foot eight, little bit of a combo player. You've got Davion Harmon along with Pops Isaac who've been able to give you 6.5 assists. They both give you 12 points per contest. What is really ailing Texas Tech though is the turnovers. 14.4 turnovers per contest. They probably benefit a little bit more by playing a bit slower because with Texas Tech, been a little bit surprised that they're a top 100 team in terms of total possessions per game. West Virginia, 
They're playing at a relatively similar tempo, 116th in the country in terms of total possessions. Bream, Texas Tech playing a little bit better on defense, playing a little bit more carelessly on offense. And I think that with Trey Mitchell being able to match up very well, in my opinion, with Kevin O'Banner, 13 points, 6 boards. He's able to shoot about 40% from 3. That it's going to keep West Virginia lively in this game. I do think that Texas Tech snaps their losing streak, but I'm not willing to lay the number here. I set my number at 2. I'm going to be willing to take the points with West Virginia. I do think that Texas Tech is going to be able to rise up a little bit more with their defense. At the same time, I do think that they're going to be turning the ball over quite a bit as well. So I set my total at 142 here at 142.5. It's my buy point on the under, and I'm willing to take the points with West Virginia. 7-1, 7-2 on the running board. Stone Cold Steven F. Austin plays those to UT Rio Grande Valley. Grand Valley is a 12-point underdog with your total 153.5 to 154. With Stephen F. Austin, I set them as a 12.5-point favorite. So 12 is the max I'm willing to lay, but I am willing to lay the 12. It is a... Grand Valley team that ranks number one in all of college basketball in terms of possessions per game. They're playing at a breakneck pace. You got a Stephen F. Austin team that is in the top 30 in terms of turnovers forced on a per possession basis, and it is a Stephen F. Austin team that they're letting it five from three. They're shooting 38.5% from three. Latrell Jossel has done a very solid job with 12 points per contest. He is shooting about 42% from three-point range, but has been dealing with ailments. He's already missed four games thus far this season. He has been able to return and has been able to look relatively solid, though. And for the Stephen F. Austin team, they've been able to get past the 69-point plateau in four other last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a Grand Valley team that they're just allowing points upon points. They've allowed 80-plus points in each other last four games. They've allowed at least 75 points. And now, I believe... Nine out of their last 10 games. That includes giving up 80 points to Southwest Christian University. So it is a UT Rio Grande Valley team that is playing no defense whatsoever, though. They do have a 21.5 point per game score. And Justin Johnson, who chips in their five boards, three assists, just in the mid 30s from three point range, Grand Valley as a whole. They're shooting 35% from three. They're also turning the ball over 17 times per game because they're playing too fast for their own good. You get 16.5 points per game out of Vol Johnson as well, but. With all those turnovers, playing against a Stephen F. Austin team, that really their lone form of defense is being able to generate these turnovers because Stephen F. Austin, they're right around 150th in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. I don't good enough actually giving up right around five points per 100 possessions more when they're at home rather than on the road. That's a bit of an issue, but you've got a Stephen F. Austin team that you've got great balance with this team. Sorry, Dina Hall is your top scorer with 13 points, six and a half rebounds per game, and then buying them, including Jocelyn, who I mentioned a little bit before. You've got six different guys who give you between 7.5 and 11.8 points per game, shooting his collective 38.5% from three. They themselves, Stephen F. Austin, turns the ball over 15.5 times per game, so I do think that there's going to be a lot of defense turned into offense in this spot. I think that UG Real Grand Valley just continues to do what they've done all year long. Give up 80 plus. I set my total 156 half. I'm looking over to Stephen F. Austin. Willing to lay no more than 12, but willing to lay 12 in this spot. 703, 704 on the bidding board. Northern Iowa is going to be playing as Valparaiso. Valpo is a nine point underdog with your total 138 to 138 and a half. And this is a total I set at 133 and a half. I'm going to be one to dive under. For Valparaiso, they're actually playing quite a bit faster this season than they have in past years. They're right around 150th in the country in terms of total possession. Northern Iowa. In recent years, they've been cranking up their tempo a tad. They're getting back to their roots right around 260th in terms of total possessions per game, but for Valparaiso, what I think is going to cost them in this total is just the fact that they have not been able to throw the ball in there from three-point range. It's a Valparaiso team that is very much reliant upon two guys for all their scoring. Ben Cricky, along with Kobe King, combined for 34.5 points per game. Cricky gives you six boards. Kobe King, he does a good job of being able to help facilitate some offense, with Nick Edwards really being your main facilitator. 3.9 boards, 5 assists, 8 points per game out of Edwards, but Cricky and King, 
Your teammate scores. Both shoot 25% or worse from three-point range. Valparaiso as a whole. They shoot 31% from the outside. That's a big dying issue. You've got right around five rebounds per game out of Jerome Palm down low, and that's about it. Meanwhile, you've got a Northern Iowa team that they themselves are very top-heavy. Bowen Bourne, 18.5 points, 3 assists, shoots 39.5% for 3. Titan Anderson, 9.5 rebounds, 13.5 points per game. Nobody outside these two gentlemen give you north of 9.3 points per game or more than 4.7 rebounds per game. Though I will say, Michael Duax, he's starting to step up. 9.5 points, 4.5 boards, shoots about 32% for 3, but coming off of a 21-11 and 11 performance against UIC and Northern Iowa as a whole. They aren't starting to come into their own. They've won four out of their last five games. Defense really starting to ratchet up as they've given up 67 points or fewer in now five out of their last seven games, including when they played against Valparaiso. That was a 69-67 to game in which Valparaiso in that game shot 8-28 of from three-point range. I think that history should repeat itself there in that game. Northern Iowa won the rebound battle by a count of 40-29. to Only reason why this was a relatively close game is that Valparaiso was able to shoot about 45% from the floor. They did a solid job being able to get to the free throw line, draw a few fouls on Northern Iowa. I don't think that we're going to see history repeat itself. Do X, I mentioned he had a double-double in that game as well, and I do think that for Valparaiso, they aren't going to be able to rely upon Ben Cricky going for 20 points, 6 assists, 4 rebounds like he did the first time around. And I do think that Northern Iowa going to do a nice job of being able to guard the arc. I do think that with this out being on Northern Iowa's home floor, that they are going to be able to pull away a little bit more in this spot. I said Northern Iowa as a 9.5 point favorite, 9 or less. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. I do think that this is going to be just a hair lower scoring semi-total of 133.5. So here at the 138 to 138 and a half, diving under, and I'm willing to lay the number with Northern Iowa. 7 to 5, 7 to 6 on the betting board. It is Bradley, and they're going to be playing us to Illinois State. Illinois State is an underdog of 14 to 14 and a half points. Turtles between 128 and 128 and a half. And with Illinois State, I set them as an underdog of 13 points. I think that we went just a little bit too far here. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Illinois State. It's an Illinois State team that plays at a rather controlled tempo. They are in the bottom runner in terms of total possessions per game. And Bradley, they're not looking to play very fast as well. This is Bradley team that's 290th in the country in terms of total possessions per game as well. Bradley's given up a few more points recently, but still one of the better defensive teams that you're going to find in all of college basketball. 23rd in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. And with Bradley, they allow 19 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than on the road. With Bradley, they have given up at least 66 points in four out of their last five games, and they've allowed north of 75 points in two out of their last three. Bradley has still given up fewer than 68 points in all but four of their games thus far this season, and they go up against an Illinois State team that, well, it's not going well for them on offense, as this is a squad that, in regulation, because they did play against Missouri State, and that is a game that went to overtime, and they scored 15 points in overtime after scoring 61 points in regulation. So, in regulation and regulation only, the last time Illinois State was able to get to 70 points, you have to go all the way back to when they played against SIU Edwardsville on December 10th. I believe that that was 11 games ago. You've got a Illinois State team that just doesn't have a main leader. Darius Burford is the only guy that gives you north of two assists per game with 2.1 assists per contest. Now, balance scoring, Burford, Seneca Knight, Malachi Poindexter, Kendall Lewis, they all give between 9.6 and 11.7 points per game to lead the way, but only Poindexter shoots above 29.5% from three at 41% from the outside. Kendall Lewis is able to give you 6.5 rebounds per game, but we've seen his scoring go straight down the toilet bowl. He has scored a combined four points in the last three games, and it's not like he's injured because he's actually chipped in there 16 rebounds, and he's got as many assists as points, but the reason why I do think that Illinois State is going to be able to hold in there is that this is a Bradley team that they themselves can be a little bit off-kilter with regards 
yards through offense. They've turned the ball over nearly 13 times per game. They've shot about 36% from three-point range. Duke Dean, along with Malevi Leons, both shoot between 37 and 39% for the outside. Dean, your main facilitator, three assists, seven and a half points per game. And then Rink Bass, along with Leons, who I mentioned before, they're six foot nine combo players. They combine for 25 points, right around 15 rebounds per game. And it is an Illinois State team that, for as bad as the offense has been, the defense has honestly been there. They've given up 71 points or fewer in each other last five games. And for that matter, if you want to date it back a little bit further, giving up 71 points or fewer in now eight out of their last nine games. So Illinois State doing a solid job on defense, providing you absolutely nothing on offense. This is a Bradley team that's been one of the top defenses in all of college basketball. So I think that you're in for a low-scoring slog. Set by total at 127, diving under. And with Illinois State, set them as a 13-point underdog. So we'll take the two touchdowns with them to go along with the under. 707 to 708 on the betting board. And at Evansville, they play also Belmont. Belmont is between a 12 to a 12 and a half point road favorite with your total 144 and a half to 145. With Belmont, can I set them as a 10 and a half point favorite? I'm going to be looking to take the Mondo number here with Evansville. Evansville has had a rough go of it this season as Evansville has been looking to crank up their tempo a little bit more from past years. They had a new coaching regime coming in the offseason, so they're right around 160th in terms of possessions per game. It's a Belmont team that they are pretty much right there, 156th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, so we know what to expect there. And for Belmont, 195th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, leaving something to be desired. Evansville, well, they're 302nd in the country with this regard, and they're giving up just as many points per possession at home as they are on the road, but... What I think keeps them in this game is that all of a sudden they've been able to get a little bit more down low. Marvin Coleman, the second, not great size with him, but good versatility. Comes in from UNLV, gives you a steal, three assists, five and a half rebounds, ten and a half points per game. And then the gentleman from France in Mr. Yusin Tumami has been able to give you ten points, five and a half boards for an Evansville team that they shoot about 32.5% from three, 61.5% the free line, 40% from the floor. That is relatively tough. And you do have a Belmont team that is shooting 49% from three. They're a top 10 three-point shooting team in all of college basketball. Each other top three scores, Ben Shepard, along with Dan Freiberg and Caden Tyson. They all shoot at least 41.6% from three. Shepard is Mr. Do-It-All, along with Tyson. Tyson, 13 points, four and a half boards, seal per contest. Shepard, five boards, 18 and a half points, seal and a half per game. And Freiburg, he tips in their 13 points per game himself. You really don't have a lot of rebounding with this team, though. Shepard is the only guy that gives you north of 4.6 rebounds per game. Evan Braun's down low, six and a half points, four boards, and depth has been eluding this team a little bit as well. Someone like Michael Shanks was hoping for a little bit more than two points per game out of him. It is an Evansville team that they've got Kenny Strawbridge chipping in there 15 and a half points per game. He's shown some good versatility. You get about eight points, three boards out of Antoine Smith Jr. is now shooting about 41% from three-point range. Evansville has been dump truck quite a bit recently, but that said, the offense has looked a tad bit better, getting to at least 69 points in two other last three games. Now, they've also given up at least 75 points in each other last four. Meanwhile, it's a Belmont team that they are really starting to fire on all cylinders with regards to their offense. 74 plus points in each other last six games. So it's a good old situation of something's got to give. You've got a pair of teams that have had a little bit of a rough go of it on defense. You've got an Evansville team that's had a rough go of it on offense. I do think that Belmont is starting to find a little bit more defense. They have given up 72 points or fewer and now five out of their last six games. So I did some. I total 140 and a half. You don't necessarily have a pair of up-tempo teams. So I'm looking at the under in this spot. I do think that Evansville going to be able to hold up on the glass. I'm willing to take the points with them, set them as a 10 
7.5 point underdog. 7.09, 7.10 on the betting board. UT Arlington plays us to Cal Baptist. Cal Baptist is a favorite of 4.5 points, and your total is between 127 and 127.5. And with Cal Baptist, could I make them 3.5 point favorite? I'm going to be looking to take the 4.5 with UT Arlington. UT Arlington just sticks you in the mud. They're a bottom 30 team in terms of possessions per game. They are now ranked outside the top 185 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. But it's a Cal Baptist team that I have no idea why, but they have played very slowly this year. Cal Baptist is another one of these teams that, in terms of total possessions per game, they are ranked outside of the top 275. They are clocking in right around 300th. And I will say for Cal Baptist, they are 63rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. But... Cal Baptist, leaving a lot to be desired on offense. Joe Kitana, Taryn Armstrong, they both give you 10.5 points per game apiece, but for Kitana, someone who shot 43% for three at Loyola Marymount last season, he's shooting 30% from the outside this season, and Cal Baptist, in a late-game felling situation, they shoot 64.7% on the free-throw line. Armstrong is able to give you a triple-double on any given night, along with his 10.5 points, 4.3 boards, 4.8 assists per game, and then you got Riley Benton along with Hunter Goodrick, they combine for 18.5 points, right around 13 rebounds, 3.5 assists, they both shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range, so that has been solid. And Timmy Eaglehovey is able to give you about seven boards, 2.3 blocks per game to be a nice rim protector. But for UT Arlington, they're another team that the hole is greater than some of its parts with them. You've had a pair of guys that give you between 10 and 11 points per game. And Kyron Gibson, along Shamar Wilson. Wilson is able to give you 8.5 rebounds per game. Past that, you don't have anyone else that gives you north of 4.5 rebounds per game. But you do have a trio of guys. Aaron Cash along with Chendo Weaver, and then you're able to throw in there as well Brandon Walker. That all give you between four and four and a half rebounds per game. They all give between seven and eight point three points per contest. And Cash does shoot forty two percent for three for an Arlington team that they shoot sixty five and a half percent the free line. They shoot thirty percent from three. Turn the ball over thirteen and a half times per game. This is going to be a grimy, just a little bit of a grinder game with UT Arlington. They've broken 68 points once this year, and that's when they played against UT Rio Grande Valley, who is number one in the country in terms of total possessions per game. So they are looking to run in and gun it for Cal Baptist. I will give them some credit. They've been able to get to at least 67 points so far in the last five games, but a team that is really able to make things yucky and just gross is UT Arlington. I think that they're going to do that after they played a little bit more of an up-tempo game against UT Rio Grande Valley. I think that that affected them against Abilene Christian, in which they gave up 84 points. I think that UT Arlington gets back to their roots. I think the Cal Baptists are going to be finding themselves in a low-scoring defensive slog as they themselves have given up 71 points or fewer in pretty much all but three of their games as far as the season have wrapped up in regulation. So, a circumstance where I set my total at 125.5, diving under end with Cal Baptist. Set them as a 3.5 point favorite, so we'll take the 4.5 with the Mavericks. 7-11, 7-12 on the betting board. Providence is going to be playing as a Butler. Butler between a 9.5 to a 10 point underdog with your total between 139 and 140 with Providence. Set them as a 10 point favorite. Once we see 9.5 and 9.5 is the max I'm going to be willing to lay with the Friars, but I'm willing to lay it, lay it. I'm willing to fry it up as you've got a Providence team that has Bryce Hopkins who does a tremendous job with 16 and half points, nine and a half boards, 2.3 assists per contest, shooting 37% for three. And then even though he's been off with regards to his three-point shooting, Jared Bynum has been able to do a good job knowing out a little bit over four assists to fewer than two turnovers per contest. On the flip side for Butler, this team, it feels like they get a few good wins and then they get dump trucked in all of their other games. They're very much an all-or-nothing team as in terms of the 
actual losses that Butler has taken. So that takes it out of the fold, the win that they were able to get against Villanova, along with the win that they were able to get against DePaul and Georgetown. All of their losses have been by double figures really ever since the beginning of the month of December. The last time they had a loss that was by single digits, you have to go all the way back to November, and you have to go all the way back to when they lost at Penn State in the Gavit game. So this is very much an all-or-nothing team. They've been dealing with an injury to Manny Bates. I think that Manny Bates is going to be able to go in this game. 12 and a half points, six boards. It was looking like it was trending towards him playing in that game against UConn. He ended up not playing in that game, but... Chuck Harris, along with also Jaden Taylor. They combined for about 25.5 points. They combined to shoot about 36% from three-point range. But for Providence, they have been able to step things up a little bit with their defense. It's been a tad bit hit or miss thus far this season. And I'm talking about hit or miss defenses. Butler, they're right around 126th in the country. Turns the points a lot on a per-possession basis. But Providence are more around 87th with this regard. But at the Dunkin' Donuts Center, Providence has been able to cover five out of the last six games. And it has been a team that has been able to step up on that defensive side of things. 73 points or fewer surrendered in now three out of their last five games. And I believe that if you date it back further, five out of their last seven. And the last time they faced off against Butler, completely dump truck them. Butler went just two of 16 from three-point range in that game. And Providence even lost a turnover battle, but won the game 72-52 to with Bates out there on the floor. Providence was able to win the rebound battle 45 to 28 at Crosswell in that game at 10 rebounds overall for the season. He has 13.75 rebounds per game. I think that Providence should be able to play bully ball down low once again. I do think that Providence should be able to get a win of 10 points. Set Providence as a 10-point favorite. So nine and a half or less, I'm going to be willing to lay it. Last time these two teams played, it was 72 to 52. I do think that you're going to get a little bit of a lower scoring game as Providence has been able to do a solid job on defense. And Butler, they've been leaving something to be desired on offense as they have been unable to get past these. 65-point plateau in four other last five games. So, looking at the under, we'll lay up to 9.5 with Providence, 7-13, on the betting board. Boston College plays us to Louisville. Louisville is a... 10.5 point underdog in your total. It is 134.5, seeing straight 133.5 as well. And I did set my total at 134. So mostly seeing 134.5, I'm going to be one to dive under. And for Boston College, I set them as a 10 point favorite. 10.5 is my buy point on Louisville with Louisville. It's been L. Ellis in the backcourt and not a whole heck of a lot else. But good news is, it feels like he's finally getting some help from Mikey James, who has been able to give the team for the season nine points per contest, shooting 37.5% from three-point range. James has been limited to 13 points in the last two games, but prior to that, he had scored 19, 24, and 17 points in the previous three games. He's been able to ascend with regards to his three-point shooting percentage. Brandon Huntley-Hatfield, the leading rebounder for Louisville, should be out of the full once again, 7.5.6 rebounds per game. So that hurts a little bit, but... You still have Sidney Curry, Lunche, and Withers. They combine for 10 rebounds per game. Withers is able to give you 8 points per contest. And then Mr. Ellis, he leads the country with 4.4 turnovers per game, but he's also been able to deliver 18 points, 4.5 assists, shoots about 33% from 3-point range going up against the Boston College team. That is right around 250th in terms of possessions per game. We've got a Louisville team that is mid-tempo and a Louisville team that, and that about it, 309th in the country. It turns points a lot on a possession basis, and it's not good. And Boston College... 
not like they've necessarily been playing dominant defense as well. That typically has been their calling card, and they're 216th in the country with this regard. They have been playing much better ever since Quinn Post has gotten into the post. So, in seven games back, he's been able to give the team 14 points, six half boards, shooting 46% from three as a seven-footer. Makai Ashton, Langford, Jaden Zachary in the backcourt. They combined for about 23 points, four and a half assists per contest, and they need Post's outside presence, even though he is a seven-footer. That also gives you a block per contest because Rod's College, they shoot 29% from three, 70% the free throw line. They've left a lot to be desired on the offensive side of things, as even with posts in the fold, they've scored 64 points or fewer in four of the last five games. They are losers of four of their last five, but some of these games, like the game that we saw against North Carolina and Duke, they were able to get some nice covers there. And for Louisville, they've been able to cover now in quite a few of their games. They've been able to cover five out of their last nine, so things are beginning to look a little bit more respectable for them. Now they have given up at least 75 points in four straight games, 70-plus points in pretty much nine out of their last ten games. So I do think that it is going to be a Louisville team that's going to allow Boston College to get to 70, but I don't think Boston College really gets too much past 70 in this five because they themselves have left a lot to be desired on offense and they're not a high tempo team so I did set my total at 134 here at 134.5 diving under and for Boston College going to make them a 10 point favorite and you saw serious question marks with their outside shooting so won't take 10.5 with Louisville and the under 715 716 on the betting board it is Auburn and they're going to be playing us to Texas A&M A&M is an underdog of 6 points and your total it is between 137 and 137.5 and with Texas A&M set them as a 7.5 point underdog I'm going to be willing to lay with Auburn Auburn has been able to do an incredible job of really barreling down with their defense. It turns points a lot on a per possession basis. This Auburn team is clocking in ninth in the country. And for Texas A&M, I've got to give them some kudos because they're now 75th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. I will say, home and road, they've got some of the biggest splits in all of college basketball, giving up 18 and a half points more per one earned possessions at home rather than on the road. But with Texas A&M. You take a look at this recent run. They do give up north of 70 points in that game against Kentucky, a game that involved a lot of late-game fouling, but prior to that, they had given up 65 points or fewer in six straight games, so they've been able to do a much better job on that side of things. You've got a lead score for Texas A&M and Wade Taylor, the fourth who's able to chip in there, 14.8 points, 3.8 assists, 1.8 seals, shooting 35% from three, and then pass that. You've got a quadrant of guys, Dexter Dennis, Julius Marble, Tyrese Radford, Henry Coleman, the fourth. They combine for about 41 points. They all give you between 4.1 and 4.8 rebounds per game with Radford, Coleman, and Dennis all above 5 rebounds per contest. None of these guys really shoot it well from 3. That's Manny Obaseki's job. He shoots 42% from 3 with 7 points per game. Good team rebounding, but they have to go up against an Auburn team that has the most dominant low post player in this game. Gene Broom, give him a mop because he is cleaning up. Two and a half blocks, 13 points, eight and a half rebounds for an Auburn team that they only shoot 30% from three. They're a bottom 40 team in terms of three-point shooting percentage. Dylan Cardwell, though, he's able to help out down low. 4.2 points, 4.2 rebounds per game. Jalen Williams, Allen Flanagan. As guards, they're able to contribute about 10 and a half rebounds, about 19 and a half points per game. And for Williams, he's shooting 39 and a half percent from three-point range. Flanagan, we've seen him be able to really help out on the offensive side of things as well. He's now been able to contribute at least eight points in six straight contests after he was having a relatively rough start to the season. He's been banged up in recent years. And Wendell Green, he's been able to do a solid job as the main headliner in the backcourt, a steal and a half, four assists, 13 and a half points per contest. Really like the way that he's playing for an Auburn team that has really been able to find their stride. This team has allowed... 69 points or fewer in four of their last five games. And for that matter, for the Sovereign team, they've done a good job 
will be able to ascend a little bit more with their offense as they've been able to get to at least 72 points in three of their last five games. And it's an AMM team that they themselves have been able to do a solid job with their offense, 69 plus points in three of their last five games. But defense is really both of these teams' calling card. I did some a total at a 133 and a half. You got a pair of teams that are relatively mid-tempo and they're really doing a great job on the defensive side of things. So looking at the under with Auburn, did something as a seven and a half point favorite. Their upside shooting, leaving something to be desired. But I do think that Broom is going to be able to clean things up down low. So willing to lay the number to go along with this total under. 717, 718 on the betting board. Alabama plays us to Mississippi State. Mississippi State between a 12 and a half to a 13 point underdog with your total 139 to 139 and a half. I did set my total at 142 and a half. We saw Alabama last time around against Mississippi State get north of 75 points and with Mississippi State, they have allowed north of 70 points just twice this year. One of those instances is when they lost to Alabama by a count of 78 to 67. And I think we're going to get something similar in this spot. I did set Alabama as a 10.5 point favorite. I'm going to take 12.5 with Mississippi State. We take a look at the game the first time around, and Mississippi State did shoot 9 to 24 from 3. I think that they're going to cool down a little bit with that regard, but for Alabama, they are a team that ranks in the top 10 nationally in terms of possessions. For a Mississippi State, a little bit more of a slow and controlled team, but Mississippi State ranks in the top 15 in terms of turnovers forced on a per possession basis, and for everything that Alabama does well, they do turn the ball over 15 times per game. Part of that is their tempo, but at the same time, they are a team that they are going to give you a few turnovers. Brandon Miller, he's done a solid job being able to contribute 20 points, 8 boards. He's been the best freshman in all of college basketball, shooting 45% from 3-point range. Noah Clowney, 10 points, 8.5 rebounds down low, but I do think that the duo of Tolu Smith along with DJ Jeffries are going to be able to do a solid job down low. Last time around, Alabama actually lost the offensive rebound battle by a count of 11-8, to eight, so that's working in the favor of Mississippi State. Jeffries and Smith, they combined for 14 rebounds, 22.5 points per game. We talked about Kai McCann shooting for Mississippi State, leaving something to be desired. They shoot 40.5% from the floor, 61.5% at the free throw line, 28.5% from three-point range. They turn the ball over 12 times per game, so I do think that they're actually going to downsize the 15 turnovers that they had the first time around. You're going to really need to have though Deshaun Davis be able to take off in this one. He's given the team about 42% three-point shooting. He's been the top three-point shooter for this team all season long. He went just 2 of 11 in the last game that these two teams played, and with Mississippi State, you do have guys like Will McNair that are able to contribute for the team. Would like to see a little bit more out of Tyler Stevenson, but they've got a lot of pieces that you are able to rely upon. Meanwhile, for Alabama, Mark Sears is someone they like. He's able to give you two and a half assists. She's 38.5% from three of 14 and a half points per game. Javon Quinterly, along with Jaden Bradley, they contribute about seven and a half assists per game. I think that you're going to see a score that is similar to the first time around. I do think that Alabama could approach 75 and win this game by 10, 11 points. I'd set my number at 10 and a half, so we'll take 12 and a half to 13 here with the Mississippi State and made my total 142 and a half, so also looking at the over. 719, 720 on the bidding board. It is Creighton playing us to St. John's. St. John's is an underdog of nine to nine and a half points. Your total is between 151 and 152. And with St. John's, I did set them as an 11 point underdog. Willing to lay the number with Creighton. Creighton has been a different team ever since they have been able to get their big man back at the fold. And it has been very good what Ryan Kochbrenner has been able to do all season long. He's been their main scorer with 14.9 points, seven boards, shooting 36% from three as a true seven-footer. And ever since he has gotten back in the fold, it's been a squad that has given up 70 points or fewer in pretty much all but one of their games. The defense has been so much better for this Creighton team. And you do have a Creighton team that is very top-heavy with... Coke Runner being out of the fold, they did find out they've, they've got a little bit of something in Frederick King, but that said, they've really been relying upon their starting five, and 
not a whole lot else. They've been able to get really good production out of the point guard spot with having fewer turnovers this year from Ryan Nemard, 5.3 assists and 1.8 turnovers per contest. He's able to give you about 11.5 points per game, creating as a whole. They shoot about 35% from three-point range with Baylor Shireman, Trey Alexander combined and shoot about 40.5% from three. They both give you between 13 and 13.5 points per game with Shireman, 8.5 rebounds per game, and Arthur Kaluma can be a little bit intermiss, but 12.5 points, 6.5 boards, 11 points or fewer in each of the previous three games, but overall for the season, has been able to do a relatively solid job. And for St. John's, you've got Posh Alexander and Andre Cabello. They do a good job of being able to dole out the ball, a combined nine assists per game, about 19.5 points per contest. But both of these guys shoot below 29% for three point range. Joel Soriano is able to give you 12.5 boards, 16.5 points per game, but. It's a St. John's team that they look to push tempo top 25 in terms of total possessions per game. They do generate those nine t- steals per game with Dylan Adi Awusu being able to give you seven half points, four boards, shoots about 30% from three-point range, but you just don't have a lot of outside shooting with this team, shooting 31.5% from the outside, and I do think the Kalperiner is going to do a good job down low against Joel Sariano. That's going to allow this Creighton team to be able to control the game. I set my number at 11. I'm going to be willing to lay it with Creighton. Did set my total 153. Creighton has been doing a better job with their defense, but this is also an offense that they can really pop off for some big performances. We've seen them get past the 73-point plateau and farther the last five games. Meanwhile, you got a St. John's team that they've been playing a little bit better defense recently, giving up fewer than 70 points to two out of their last three games, but prior to this most recent spurt, they had given up 80-plus points in each other previous four games and 78-plus points in five straight games, and I do think that they're going to revert back to that form. So, in a circumstance where I set my total at 153, looking over, I was great willing to lay up to 10.5 with them. 721-722 on the betting board. Tulane hits the red face off against Wichita State. Wichita State, a one-point favorite to a pick. I'm in your total between 145.5 and 140 six half talk about a battle of tempos you've got a two-lane team that ranks in the top 25 in terms of possessions per game you got a wichita state team that they're the complete opposite they're currently ranking in terms of total possessions per game 258th and for wichita state by and large they've been able to play some solid defense for the year in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis they are 46th in the country and luckily enough wichita state actually giving up 2.4 points more per 100 possessions when they are at home rather than on the road to lane. They're more around 130th in this category. So good old situation of something's got to give. And we have noticed that Wichita State has been scoring a few more points recently, and they've been surrendering a few more, but... I do think that they're going to get back through their defensive roots a little bit more. Did set my total at a 144. I'm going to be taking a look at the under in this spot. And by Wichita State giving up more points, I mean they have allowed between 69 and 70 points in now four other last six games. It's still a Wichita State team that has allowed more than 70 points. I believe just still twice in regulation thus far this season. They've been able to do a good job of being able to tighten up on teams. It is a Wichita State team, though, that they really rely upon two main scorers. And Craig Porter Jr., Jaquan Walton, they combine for 25 points, 11.5 rebounds per contest. With Walton, he shoots about 33.5% from three. Wichita State as a whole. And they shoot about 29% from three-point range. You got a two-lane team that you got the Jalen's, Jalen Cook, Jalen Forbes. They've been able to combine for 37 points. Forbes gives you four and a half boards, two steals per game. Cook, he chips in their four and a half assists, two steals per game himself with Forbes. Shooting 37% from three. Tulane is old. They shoot about 33% from three, but they shoot 81.5% the free line. That's good for a top five mark in all of college basketball. Down low, Kevin Cross, Sion James. They combine for 11.2 rebounds per game. They both give you between 3.8 and 4 assists per game as well. James, more of a... 
do it all. Six foot five guard that's able to give you 11 points per contest. Shoot 34% from three. Cross is a six foot eight, little bit of a point forward guy. But for Wichita State, what I think is very key for them is just being able to get a little bit more out of some of the ancillary pieces, like Gus Okafor, who's able to give you four and a half points per game. Kenny Foto, he's right around six foot ten, six foot eleven, seven points per contest. Able to pop threes, but has been atrocious from three point range this year, shooting 13% from distance. And I do think that with the way that Tulane does a good job of being able to take care of the ball. They're in the top 10 nationally in terms of fewest turnovers on a per-possession basis, 10.7 turnovers, despite the fact that they play so fast that it is going to help them win out in this ordeal. It is a Tulane team that, aside from the game that they played against Houston, and Houston is just a different breed, they've been able to get to at least 77 points and now five out of their last six games and really seven out of their last nine games. I do think that they're going to be able to get a pretty good score up there, but I do think that Wichita State, a team that they themselves have just been so good on defense, they're going to neutralize this just a little bit. I took a bit of a middle ground approach. I set my total at a 144, so I'm looking to go under. I do think that this game gets slowed down, but I do think that good guard play wins out, so I do like Tulane. All right, on the money line, set Tulane as a two-point favorite. 723, 724 on the betting board. Minnesota is going to be playing us at Indiana. Indiana is a favorite of 9.5 to 10 points with your total between 136 and 136.5 set Indiana as a 10.5 point favorite. So here at 9.5 to 10, I'm going to be willing to lay it with the Hoosiers. Indiana has the best player out there on the floor in Trace Jackson Davis, who has been absolutely incredible all season long with 18.5 points, 10 boards, actually more like 19.5 points per game to go along with three blocks per game. He has given the team at least three blocks in four of the last five contests, 11 plus rebounds in four of the last five, and he combined 66 points in the last two games. They've been without Xavier Johnson for quite a while, and they got back Race Thompson in the last game. Race Thompson was so limited that he made no contribution, though. He played just four minutes. I think that he'll probably play a little bit more here, but he's pretty much a non-factor with my handicap. You've got to take a look at someone like a Malik Renu, who's been able to give you six and a half points, four boards down low, to be able to give you a little bit of an impact to help out Trace Jackson Davis along Jalen Hood Shafino when it comes to the backcourt, who's been able to give you four and a half assists, 12 and a half points, shooting 41 and a half percent from three, and this is an Indiana team that does rank at the top 35 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. We have seen this Indiana team play a little bit more up-tempo. They're in the top 100 in terms of possessions per game. Minnesota, they're in the bottom 125 in terms of possessions per game, and for Indiana, defense is not quite what we typically expect. 59th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis and giving up 20.3 points more per 100 possessions when they are away from Assembly Hall, but they go up against a Minnesota team that only shoots 59.3% the free throw and 32% from three. That free throw shooting percentage is in the bottom 10 in all of college basketball. Daylon Cooper, good set sheet, suffer 11 points, four and a half boards, 5.7 assists, a block, a steal per game on 49% three-point shooting, and then Jamison Battle, Dawson Garcia. They combine for 27 points. Garcia gives you six and a half rebounds per game and is the only guy on the roster that gives you north of 4.7 boards per game. Even with having Garcia and Battle, that is a battle that is going to be lost down low against Trace Jackson Davis. I do think that Indiana's really starting to find their form and the defense has been much better after they gave up 80 plus to Penn State and Northwestern. They have now given up fewer than 70 points at each other previous three games and this is a Minnesota team that is having an almighty struggle on offense. They were able to rise up. They were able to score those 70 points against Ohio State and if you discredit the overtime that we saw 
in that game against Nebraska because that was 67 to 67 at the end of regulation. So if you throw out the overtime session, this is a Minnesota team that has been able to get past the 70 point plateau just once in their last seven games. So that is a bit of an issue. I do think that Indiana started to turn over a new leaf with that defense. I did set my total at a 134.5, and I did make Indiana a 10.5 point favorite. So willing to lay the 10 with Indiana and here at 136 to 136 half, diving under 725, 726 on the betting board. Chicago State is the road to face off against Sanford. Sanford is a favorite of 17 to 16 points, and your total is between 135 and 136. Mentioned this game with Kai McCann. Just really hard to have any faith whatsoever in Sanford. I do recognize that Chicago State coming from the Carolinas, but that said, I could only make this number 12. I'm going to be one to take the points with Chicago State. This is a Sanford team that they have a almighty struggle taking care of the ball. They're in the bottom 75 in terms of turnovers on a per possession basis, and it's a Sanford team that they just have no outside shooting. This bunch overall for the season has shot right around 30% from three-point range. You do have the Joneses and Michael Jones along Spencer Jones. They both shoot at least 30% from three. They combine for 23 points. Spencer Jones gives you four and a half rebounds per game. And then you do have Harrison Ingram along with Maximine Raynaud. They combine for 10.7 rebounds per game. Ingram chips in there, 3.3 assists, 9.5 points per game, but has not lived up to his billing whatsoever. And for Stanford, they've just been really an all-over-the-place team that they play at a little bit of a slower pace. They don't necessarily do a great job on defense in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. It's the Stanford team that's right around 125th and for Chicago State to recognize that they're a bottom 75 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but this team has actually been able to play some significantly better defense recently as they have given up 70 points or fewer in pretty much three out of their last five games, and the Chicago State team that they have been able to get past the 70-point plateau in three of the last four games, but they played against UT Rio Grande Valley, who's number one in the country in terms of possessions per game, and another one of those games was against the East-West Phantoms, so do keep that into perspective for Sanford. They have been having a tough time with their offense as well, scoring 71 points or fewer in every single game this month, and last time they were able to get past the 71-point plateau, they were playing against Loyola Chicago. It's been all sorts of awful this season, and for Chicago State, down low, they should be able to match up well with Jay Sean Corbett, being able to hole in their nine rebounds per game. He's been able to contribute about 13 points per contest, Wesley Carter and Elijah Weaver in the backcourt. They combined for 28 points, nine and a half boards, with both guys shooting between 31 and a half and 33% from distance. It is a Chicago State team that they turn the ball over 14 and a half times per game, but they've done a good job taking these games seriously as a independent. They're looking to be able to bust through and get into a conference for next season, and they put some good tape out there. They're 280th in terms of possessions per game. I do think that Chicago State going to get their slow, grimy style. I do think that it's going to be tough for really either team to be able to score in this one. Set my total at 135, diving under with Sanford. Twenty-seven is a 12-point favorite. Been completely unimpressed with the Sanford team all season long. Take the points and the under. 727-728 on the betting board. San Diego State is going to be playing us to Utah State. Utah State is an underdog of 7-7.5 points with your total between 144 and 144.5. So San Diego State as a favorite of six half points. We'll take the seven plus that I am seeing with Utah State. Utah State, number one team in all of college basketball in terms of three-point shooting percentage. And even though you do have a San Diego State team that is still pretty efficient on defense, it just feels like a different team this year in that they have cranked up their tempo. They're 56th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, to their credit. 16 points fewer per one possessions, give it up at home rather than on the road. But I do think that Utah State is going to be able to do a solid job down low with Daniel Aiken chipping in their 12 points, 7.5 rebounds per game. They've got the Funk and Taylor Funk 
14 points, 5.7 rebounds. She's 42% from three. Stephen Ashworth, he's your main headline scorer for this Utah State team. 48.5% three-point shooter with 15.5 points, 4.5 assists per game. Max Shoga gives you five rebounds, 4.4 assists, 12 points on 36.5% three-point shooting. Weapons upon weapons for the team. And for San Diego State, down low, you've got to love Nathan Menza, one of the top really defensive players they're going to find in all of college basketball. Menza, along with Jaden Ladee, they've been able to combine for about 13 points, 11 and a half boards. So they do a solid job down low. You've got Matt Bradley and Darian Trammell who headline the backcourt. They combine for six assists, 25 points per game, and they combine to shoot about 35% for three in San Diego State. They're shooting 35 and a half percent from three-point range. San Diego State, they've been able to get things a bit more online with their defense. If you just take a look at regulation, because the Colorado State game, that went to overtime. They have allowed 65 points or fewer in three of their last four games, so that is a good mark for them, and it is a San Diego State team that's been able to get past 70 points in four of their last five games. They phase off against a Utah State team that has scored at least 70 points in every single game this month, and for Utah State, there's really only been like two games this year in which they have failed to get past 70 points. One of those was against Fresno State, and Fresno State won the slowest teams in all of college basketball. So I do think that's intriguing to take a look at this spot. San Diego State has not been the same team on defense this year, but I do think that they're starting to refine their defensive roots. I did set my total at a 143.5, and with Utah State, I do love the way that the team shoots it from three, but I do think that they're doing for a little bit of regression as well. So I did set my total at 143.5, diving under, but I do think that Utah State it's going to be able to do a solid job down low. Set Utah State as a underdog at six and a half points. So one take seven plus with them along with the under. This is the last game on the normal Las Vegas spending board before we get the extra game. Some 29, some 30. You've got Northwestern on the road against Nebraska. Nebraska is a two point home underdog. Total is 130. And with Nebraska, I set them as a one and a half point favorite. I'm going to be one to take them on the money line as an underdog. Nebraska has really been able to do a rock solid job at home. On the road, it's been a little bit of a different ordeal, but. When it comes to Nebraska, I think that they're going to do a nice job down low with Derek Walker, giving you 14 points, 7.5 boards. This is not a Nebraska team that's going to shoot the ball well. From three-point range, they're a bottom 50 team with that regard, 29.8%. As a matter of fact, they're a bottom 25 team with that regard, shooting 63.5% at the free throw line. But Sam Greisel, Keshi, Shaminga, they've been able to combine for 21.5 points. You've got Greisel being able to give you 5.5 rebounds for assists, steal and a half per contest, and Shaminga, he does shoot 37% for three and nearly 96% at the free throw line. Meanwhile, you've got a Northwestern team that has had Chase Odish along the both giving you 15 and a half points. They combined about six and a half assists per game, and it's been a Northwestern team that has just done a supreme job with their defense in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. A top 10 team in all of college basketball, I will say, not quite the same team when they're away from home, and that's something that you do find in the big time. We were outlining this a little bit earlier with our good friend Kai McKeon of the three-man weave. You've got a Northwestern team that is allowing about 8.6 points more per one earned possessions when they're on the road rather than when they are at home. You do have Robbie Barron along with Matthew Nicholson who combined for about 12.5 rebounds down low, and it is a Northwestern team that may be able to do a nice job of being able to just tighten up the screws, giving up 65 points or fewer in three of their last five games for Nebraska. Certainly not an offensive expose for them if you take a look at regulation because the game that they played against Minnesota then went to overtime. They have scored 67 points or fewer in each of their last six games, so not too tremendous on that front. I think that you get a low-scoring slog, but 
for Northwestern. Not a team that's really lighting it up from three-point range overall. They're shooting about 31.8% from three-point range. It's been just a Big Ten in general that has been very much geared towards home teams. And for Northwestern, they're coming off of a Monday night game against Wisconsin. So a tight turner on there. So as a result, said Nebraska is the one-and-a-half point favorite. I'm going to be looking at Nebraska on the money line as an underdog, and I'm going to be taking a look at the under. Now let's hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. This starts with 306501, 306502. Presbyterian, it's a red faceoff against UNC Asheville. Asheville, a 9 to 9.5 point favorite. Your total on this game is 130. And with Presbyterian, I did set them as a 12.5 point underdog. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. I do think that Drew Pember is going to come out and completely dominate this game. For UNC Asheville, he has been tremendous. 19 points, 9.5 boards. Shoots about 33% from three firings for an Asheville team that is right around 100th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Presbyterian, they are one of your slower teams in all of college basketball, 340. Third in terms of total possessions per game, they're still one of the least efficient offenses that you're going to find in the country, and they're 290th in the country in terms of defensive efficiency, allowing 10 points more per 100 possessions on the road rather than at home. It's a Presbyterian team that they average 64.4 points per contest. That includes games against non-D1 teams. They turn the ball over 13 times per game. They shoot below 30% from three-point range. Winston Hill was shooting 43% for three with 10.5 points per game. Back out the fold for the team, so they've been relying upon someone who missed a few games earlier this season, but it's back in Jalen Forrest. He's been able to give the team 12 points per game, and he's went off for 12-plus points in each of the team's last five games. He's had at least three turnovers in every one of these games, and he still shoots only 25% from three-point range. You've only got one player on this team that really gives you north of 5.3 rebounds per game, actually two of them, and Terrell Art, along with Marquise Bennett. They both give you 5.3 rebounds per game, but he said no chance against Drew Pember. And then in terms of backcourt of UNC Asheville, you've got Tyjon Jones, 13.5 points, shooting 47.5% from three. Asheville does shoot just 67% of the free throw line. They do turn the ball over 15 times per game, but they shoot 38% from distance. It's a Presbyterian team that they generate about six steals per contest, and it's a Presbyterian team that they have scored 61 points or fewer in four of their last five games, a lone exception. It was a overtime game against Gardner-Webb. Now, to their credit, that also means that in regulation, they've given up 70 points or fewer in each of their last five games. But I do think that a UNC Asheville team that has been a little bit lackluster in terms of their offense, but still is riding a six-game win streak, I do think that they're going to be able to bust out a little bit more with their offense. I think that there's a good chance they get past 70 in this spot. So I did set my total at 134.5, looking over and with Asheville, willing to lay up to 12 with them, 3 6 5 3 3 6 5 4 Holy Cross is going to be playing us a Lehigh. Lehigh is a two-point road favorite, with your total between 139 and 139.5. And Made Holy Cross a two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the Crusaders on the money line. It's a Holy Cross team that, in my opinion, has the best player out there on the floor, and that would be Gerald Gates. 70 points, 9 boards, 2.5 assists as a six foot eight do-it-all sort of player. And it's a Holy Cross team that they do shoot 36% from three. They only turn the ball over 12.5 times per game. Both of these teams have a little bit of opposite tempos in that Lee is looking to play a little bit faster. They're about 87th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Holy Cross... They're more around 215th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. And both of these teams certainly do leave a little bit of something to be desired on defense. Lee, I 195th in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. Holy Cross, 230th. But with Holy Cross, you've got Joseph Octave, along with Will Bachelor, who have been able to combine for 21.5 points per game in the backcourt. And Lee, I, you've got a big three with this team. Tyler Whitney, Sidney, Evan Taylor, Keith Higgins, all been able to give you between 13.3 and 14.7 points per game. They all shoot at least 41.3% per with Taylor being the best shooter at 45.8% from three. He also gives you six half rebounds per game. He's also the only player on the roster 
that gives you north of five rebounds per game. Only other player that gives you north of three and a half rebounds per game is either Whitney Sydney with 4.8 rebounds per game. You've got someone that is able to give you about three assists per contest. And Jalen Sinclair, he's been able to do a good job filling out the ball with four plus assists in four of the last five games. So he's been able to help out this Lehi team a little bit. But for Lehi, it's been a little bit of a touch-and-go team that is now riding a six-game win streak. Defense has been much better for them. 70 points or fewer surrendered in each of the last four games. Meanwhile, for Lake Cross, they've been able to do a solid job with their offense, being able to get to 70-plus in each of their last two games. It's Holy Cross team that is now 11-8 against the spread. Lehi is 10-7, and so... Both of these teams have been able to do a solid job there, but I do think that for Lehigh, they're going to continue to play some relatively solid defense. It's a Holy Cross team not looking to play too up-tempo, but I do think that Jarrell Gates is going to allow Holy Cross to win from within. So Holy Cross is a two-point favorite, taking them as a money line underdog, and taking a look at this little under, 7 by 12 at 136, 306-5-5, 306-5-6. Winthrop plays host to Charleston Southern. Charleston Southern is a four to four and a half point underdog. The last game is 147, and with Winthrop, I did set them as a favorite of five points. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Winthrop. They are a bottom 35 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but it's not like this Charleston Southern team is necessarily doing a lot for you on defense either, as Charleston Southern out of your 363 D1 teams, they are currently clocking in in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis at 357th. Both of these teams are not necessarily too up-tempo. Charleston Southern, they're in the bottom 125 in terms of possessions per game. Winthrop a little bit more of a mid-tempo team, but for Winthrop, what you've got with this team is a little bit more versatility. As Claudel Harris has been a very good scorer for Charleston Southern, 18.5 points, four boards, two and a half assists, shooting about 31.5 for separate three-point range with 22-plus points in three of the last four games, but gotta love the way that you've got Kaysan Harrison doling out the ball for Winthrop, three and a half assists, chips in there, 10.5 points. It's a Winthrop team that has a hole. They shoot 35.5% from three. The 15 turnovers per game, a little bit unsightly. Charleston Southern, they don't generate a lot of turnovers, so, and then you've got Caton Telford, 16 points, 8 boards. He'll win the battle down low. Corey Hightower as a 6'7", do-it-all player. 13 points, 5 boards, 3 assists. Sincere McMahon, 2.5 assists, 13 points. He shoots 39% from 3-point range as well. And then for Charleston Southern, you've got Tajay Kelly, who's been able to give you 5.5 rebounds per game. And then you also get right around 5.5 rebounds out of Tyree Bryant. And these two guys have been able to combine for a little bit over 20 points per game. Bryant does shoot 36% from 3. And Charleston Southern as a whole, they do shoot 34.5% from distance, but got a Charleston Southern team that slotted at least 69 points in each other the last four games. It's been a Charleston Southern team that's been a little bit up and down with their offense. They have scored at least 70 points in four of their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a Winthrop team that's playing a bit better on defense, giving up 71 or fewer in three of their last four games. I do think that you're going to be able to get a little bit more of an up-tempo game, but I do think that Winthrop ties down a Charleston Southern team that did a good job of being able to reduce on the turnovers, but at the same time, we're seeing them regress a little bit with regards to their offense as well. They had that 106-point performance against high point ever since then. They've scored 70 points or fewer in regulation in their last three because the 76 that they got against Campbell, they came in overtime, set by 12 at 145, diving under, and with Winthrop, one to lay up to 4.5 with them, 306-507, 306-508. Carter Webb plays OC, USC Upstate. Upstate, an 8 to a 9-point underdog, and your total is 129.5, and with USC Upstate, I did set them as an underdog of 9.5 points. I'm going to be willing to lay up to 9 with Carter Webb. Gardner Webb has been in a little bit of a funk recently as they have lost four either last six, but still a team that ranks in the top 95 nationally in terms of defensive efficiency, and they do have a nice little three-headed monster in Anthony Selden, Kareem Reed, DQ Nicholas. These three guys, they combine for about 32 points per contest. They all give you between 4.2 and 5.2 rebounds per game. They don't shoot a lick 
from three-point range with Gardner-Webb. They shoot just 62.5% the free-throw line, but having right around 1.7 blocks per game out of Lufayle Dufil, you get 1.2 blocks per game out of Kareem Reed. Both of these guys give you about five rebounds per game, and it's a Gardner-Webb team that they do a really good job of rebounding by committee as you've got six different guys that give you at least four rebounds per game. That should overwhelm a UFC upstate team that they don't have anyone other than Amir Langeles that gives you north of 4.1 rebounds per game. He gives you seven points, four and a half rebounds per game. You are going to have the best score out there on the floor. That'd be Jordan Ganey. He's been able to contribute 15 and a half points. He shoots 40% from three points with two and a half assists per game and been able to get a little bit over three assists, four boards, and 10 and a half points out of Trey Bordeaux. But for USC Upstate, offensive efficiency, it has been there. They have slowed things down. They are now in the bottom one in terms of total possessions per game. And for USC Upstate, that defensive bugaboo, it is still there for them. 254th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, giving up 10.8 points more per 100 possessions on the road rather than at home. And the offense, it has went dry for USC Upstate as well. 65 points or fewer in each of the previous four games for Carter-Webb. They themselves have had a tough time on offense, scoring 67 points or fewer in four of their last five games. And the 67, that came in overtime as well. So... Good old situation of something's got to give. I did make my total in this ordeal a 129.5, so I am going to be waiting on a little bit of a line move myself. If you take a look at a lot of the opening numbers, you are finding this more around a 128.5 to a 129. If we dip back down to that number, I'll be willing to go over, but that said, if we go to 130 or higher, going to be looking at the underarm with Gardner Webb. Set them as a 9.5 point favorite, so we'll lay up to 9 with them. 3 of 6, 5 of 9, 3 of 6, 5 10. You've got Maine, and they hope to not get Maine as they play OCU Mass Lowell. Lowell, a 5.5 to a six point favorite and your total between 142 and a half and 143 and a half with Maine I set them as a six half point underdog so want to lay the six or so that I'm seeing with UMass Lowell with Lowell this has actually been a really good defense they've cranked up their tempo as they're now a top one our team in terms of total possessions per game but for UMass Lowell number 60 in the country turn points allowed on a per possession basis and the big reason why is because you've got two big men down low Max Brooks last year was an All-America East defensive performer who's been able to give you nearly two blocks per contest. And then you bring in Abdul Karim Koulibaly, who was playing at Pittsburgh a few seasons ago. And Koulibaly has been able to give you eight and a half boards, 12 and a half points per game. Not a guy that has stretchability, but gives you a block, a seal per contest, and has put up a double-double in each of the last two games, going up against the main team that has Peter Filipowski, who's able to give you six and a half rebounds per game, but he's really the only guy in the roster that gives you north of five rebounds per game. I do like Jedi Jayu Zapatis, along with Kyron Tynes. They both have been able to combine for a little bit over 30 points per game. Tynes gives you 3.1 steals per game, which leads all of college basketball, wants four assists. Jayu Zapatis has been able to shoot 44% from three for a main team that shoots 35.5% from distance. And Maine is the opposite. They're a bottom one on our team in terms of possessions per game. Maine, they have been getting a little bit Maine on the defensive side of things. 283rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. If there is a positive, though, it is the fact that they travel well. They give up the same amount of points on a per-possession basis at home than on the road. But with them being at home, that's actually a little bit of a detriment in this spot. They've been without Lushane Duhart for much of the season, but They've still been able to get right around 8 points per game by Jashante Wright-McLeish, who's been able to shoot about 32% from 3-point range. Has been very all over the place in terms of the scoring, though. Last 5 games, 16, 8, 11, 0, and 7 points. So you don't know what you're going to be able to get there. Meanwhile, for UMass Lowell, it's a nice stable of guards. Ayinde Akeem has been missing the last few games for this team, but he should be back for this one. 10 points. Nearly four and a half assists per game. Doesn't shoot it well from three, but Everett Hammond, along with Yuri Covington, they combine to shoot just below 40% from three. They combine for 21 points per contest. Mikey Watkins has been, when he's out there, 
able to generate steals. He's been missing a little bit as well, but being able to have so much down low with UMass Lowell should allow UMass Lowell to be able to win from within. They're going up against a main team that may have been all over the place with their offense, scoring 83, 58, 77, 45, and 78 points in their last five games. So, been very fascinating to take a look at and for UMass Lowell. They are coming off of giving up 75 plus points in their last two games. That came against UMBC and Bryant, though. Just two different breeds on offense. I did set my total at a 141.5. I think that with Maine playing at a slower tempo that UMass Lowell is going to be able to put the clamps down on them. Set my total at a 141.5. So diving under a few UMass Lowell willing to lay up to 6 with them. 3 of 6, 5, 11. 3 of 6, 5, 12. Hartford is going to be playing with Sonil. Sonil is a Favorite of between 5.5 and, and 6 points with your total between 132.5 and 133.5. And, and with Sonil, set them as a 6-point favorite. Here at 5.5, I'm going to be willing to lay the number. It is a Sonil team that has been in quite a bit of transition going to the D1 level. But now they go up against the Hartford team that they're playing at a bottom one earned pace in terms of possessions per game. But Hartford, they're a bottom 50 defense in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Going up against the Sonil team that has played now 13 of their last 16 games to the under. Sonel has done a good job of being able to put the clamps down on teams, so they are leaving a little bit of something to be desired now on the offensive side of things. They do have a trio of guys in Max Zergorowski, Andrew Sims, and Isaac Burnett, who have all given you between 12.2 and 15 points per game. They, as a collective, have been able to give you about 13 rebounds per contest. Burnett, two and a half assists, two and a half seals per game. Shoots about 33% from three. Zygorowski at six foot eight. Shoots 42% from three. For a Sonel team that they shoot 76% of the free line, 35% from three. They don't necessarily have a ton down low, so Hartford should be able to hang in there on the glass as they've got a pair of guys in Jared Kimrell. Couple with Pano Paulo Divas, who've been able to combine for 11 rebounds, about 15 and a half points per game between the two of them, and Briggs McLean. He's really the guy that's getting it done on the offensive side of things. 16 points per contest, shoots 35% for three. And then you've got a pair of guys in Michael Dunn, who's looking to get her done, along with Curtis Henderson. They both give you 9.8 and 9.9 points per game, respectively. But Hartford shoots just 66% of the free line, despite playing at a slow tempo. They turn the ball over 13 times per game. It's a Stone Hill team that is very much playing at a middle tempo, and they've been great on defense recently, giving up 66 points or fewer in each other last five games to go up against Hartford team that they've gotten to at least 70 points in each other last three games. Problem is, boy, this team is really giving up the points. The last time they gave up fewer than 75 points in a game, you have to go back to their game against Morgan State just before the turn of the new year, and that was when Hartford was in the month of December scoring fewer than 60 points in every one of their games. Hartford has been a team of very, very much big swings. I do think that we're going to see a little bit more defensive swing for them. They scored just 52 points in their last game against Penn, and I do like the way that Sonil has been able to play their defense. Set my total at a 132, so here at 133 or so, I'm going to be looking at the under and one to lay up to five and a half with Stonehill. Three of six, five, thirteen. Three of six, five, fourteen. You've got UMBC playing us at NJIT. The New Jersey Institute of Technology is an underdog of five points. Your total is between 145 and 146. And for NJIT, I did set them as a underdog of six points. So... Here at the 5, I'm going to be willing to lay it with UMBC. UMBC, a bottom one on our team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but a team that's really able to throw it in from three-point range. You've got Trayvon Fagan along with Obeng Amenza, who've been able to do a solid job down low, combining for 12.7 rebounds, about 14.5 points per game. I like what they've been able to do with Fagan shooting about 34.5% for three. Greg Bodian has shipped in their four assists. That's a nice facilitator for guys like Colton Lawrence, Jacob Bonyeth, who combined for 25.5 points, 
both shoot 35 plus percent from three par range UMBC. A mid tempo team that only turns the ball over 10 times for contest while shooting 36.5% for three, 75% of the free throw line. And now they're going up against a bunch in NJIT that, well, they're lacking on offense and they are 298th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis with NJIT. I will give them credit at home as they are giving up right around 17.5 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than on the road. But now they're dealing with a little bit of an injury to Miles Coleman. That's their top scorer who has been able to give the team 14 half points, shooting 37.5% from three-point range. They had to play without him over the weekend. And in that game against Vermont, they got 69 points, but they also gave up 85 along the way as well. And that was against a Vermont team that in the final 230 did not score at all. They decided to call off the dogs. It's an NJIT team that all of a sudden they have to look to Raheem Sullivan, who comes in from Maris for scoring. He had in that game 23 points after he had scored in single digits in each of the previous four games. You do have also Adam Hess, who's able to give you 9.5 points, shooting 44% from three, but him in a primary role. Might not be too terrific as NJIT had just seven assists in that game. They had to play a lot of isolation, and it's a Vermont team that they were going up against that underratedly. Not necessarily the world's greatest team when it comes to defending. It is a UMBC team that I think should be able to win the battle down low, as you do have Salmine Diakite, who's been able to give the team five and a half rebounds per game, and Kevin Osawi about 10 points, eight rebounds for the NJIT team. That said, with UMBC, especially with Coleman dealing with injury, I'm willing to lay up to a five and a half with them. Set UMBC as a six-point favorite. I did set my total at a 146. Even without Coleman in the fold, I do think that UMBC is still going to be able to get lots of open looks in this spot to be able to do a lot of damage on this total by themselves. Looking at the 145 over, I'm willing to lay up to five and a half with UMBC through a 6515 through a 6516. High point is going to be playing us Campbell. Campbell is a pick'em to a one-point favorite, and your total between 143 and 143.5 with Campbell. I made them a 4.5-point underdog. Now, with high point, things have been going sideways for this team a little bit, but I do think that they're going to be able to get it done against a Campbell team that they are in the bottom 75 in terms of possessions per game, but they're doing not such great work of taking care of the ball as they've been turning the ball over 13 times per game. Their top rebounder, Jay Powell, has been able to give you 6.5 rebounds per game. He's currently dealing with an injury, and that should allow high point to be able to win the battle down low as for high point, you're going to have the best scorer in this game as well as you've been able to get 18.5 points per game out of Jaden House. He gives you four boards, not shooting a ball from three-point range, and it's been a little bit rough for him the last two games. Combined 14 points in those. I do think that he's going to be able to pick it up. Armand Harvey is able to give you seven half rebounds per game for high point, and then you've also got the statue suffer himself in Zach Austin. Five boards, 13.5 points, a block per contest, shooting 34% from three. It's a high point team that ranks in the top 25 in terms of total possessions per game going up against the Campbell team that is significantly slower and more controlled, but with Campbell, it's been a really rough defense for this team, and really both of these teams, leaving something to be desired currently in terms of their defensive efficiency for high point, 265th in the country, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and Campbell has been not too much better, 245th in the country with this regard, and for Campbell, what I find to be very befuddling about them is that they're giving up 8.8 points fewer per runner in possessions when they're on the road rather than when they are at home. I do think that that is going to be balancing out a little bit as it's a Campbell team that has been all over the place with their offense. In their last five games, scoring 78, 55, 74, 78, and 55 points. So they either give you in the 50s or they're able to hit in the mid to high 70s. I do think that this is going to be one of those more harebrained games. You do have Ricky Clements for this Campbell team, who's able to give you right around 10.5 points, 3.3 assists, shooting 32%. 
from three-point range. Like what I'm seeing there, they've been without Asus Cavalero for much of the season, so they've been looking to guys like Josiah Lusain to be able to be a little bit more of a backbone to help him out. Lusain, 10 points, right around 2.2 assists per contest. You've got a lot of guys that are sort of holes grand than some of its parts. Sort of guys like Awan Reyna, who last year shot 40% for three with eight and a half points per game. He's given the team a combined nine points in the last three games, and he has scored zero one points or in three out of the last four games. With high point, I do like the top-end talent of this team. You still are able to get right in the neighborhood about 13.5 points per game as well out of Abule Thiam, who I think is going to be an X-factor in this game. Set high point as a 4.5 point favorite. I'm going to be one. Take them as a slight favorite slash as a money line underdog. And I do think the things are going to be cranked up tempo a little bit more in this spot. Set by 12, 144.5. So looking over. 306.5, 18, 306.5, New Hampshire is going to be playing us Albany. Albany is an underdog of 5.5 points. Turtles between 131.5 and 132.5. And with Albany, set them as a 7.5 point underdog. I'm going to be looking to lay it with New Hampshire. Both of these teams, not necessarily playing too up-tempo. Albany has been playing a little bit faster this year, but Albany, all of a sudden, is a bottom 75 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. It is a New Hampshire team that has been leaving a tad bit of something to be desired as well. New Hampshire currently clocking in 208 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and they are giving up right around 4.5 points more per 100 possessions to Hampshire is at home rather than on the road, but you do take a look at this New Hampshire team, and you've got good balance with this team, and I do think that they're going to do a nice job of taking it to an Albany team that they've really only got one guy down low in Jonathan Beagle. They would give you 6.8 rebounds per game. That's been a solid score, but Clarence O'Daniel, good set she suffer and one of the best players they're going to find at a mid-major school as he's been able to give you 15.5 points, shooting 40% for three as a six foot six combo player while hauling in 10.5 rebounds per game. He's had a combined 43 points and 23 rebounds along with three steals in the last two games as well. It is a New Hampshire team that overall from three-point range is shooting about 35.5% for three. I recognize that New Hampshire bottom 75 team in terms of tempo, but just 9.9 turnovers per game out of them as well and been able to get some good production with 13.5 points out of Nick Johnson who's been able to shoot 36% from three-point range. He's had a pair of double-doubles in the last four games as well. And then on the flip side for Albany, Gerald Drumgoulet has been able to tip in their 14.5 points, shooting 35% for three for an Albany team that is shooting about 33% from the outside. Aaron Reddish has been able to give you nine points per contest when he's been out there. Was a little bit banged up, returned for the game against Binghamton. So should be all good to go there. That helps out an Albany team that's been very topsy-turvy with their offense. They have not gotten past the 69-point plateau in their last three games after scoring 80-plus in their previous two games. Defense seems to be really starting to fail them. They've given up at least 74 points in four of their last six games. Meanwhile, you've got a New Hampshire team that they have been all over the place with their defense, giving up 68 points or fewer in three of their last five games and giving up 80-plus points in their previous two games as well. I do think that this is going to be a game that it's going to be a little bit more controlled. I do think that New Hampshire is going to be able to put the clamps down on defense at my total 131 and a half. So here at 132, looking at the under with New Hampshire, Made them a seven and a half point favorite, so looking to lay the number. Three of six five nineteen, three of six five twenty. Binghamton plays us of Vermont. Vermont's between a five to a six and a half point road favorite, and your total it is between one thirty two and one thirty two and a half. I made this number seven with Vermont. I'm gonna be willing to lay it with Vermont. It's been a little bit of a rough season for them on defense as they're right around two hundredth of the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but for Binghamton, they're two hundred and eighty fifth in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And the big thing for Binghamton is they're actually allowing 2.2 points more per 100 possessions when they are at home rather than on the road. It's the Binghamton team that all of a sudden has been able to win four out of their last six games. So they've been playing a little bit better down the stretch, but it feels like Vermont is starting to figure themselves out as well as they've got Aaron Delaney along with Dylan Penn who have both been able to continue
contribute. He combined 23 points, about four assists per contest. And Delani, so he'll shoot 37.5 for seven for three. It's a Vermont team that they're only turning the ball for about 10.5 times per game. Robin Duncan going to be the most versatile player on the floor. 7.5 points, 6.8 rebounds, 3.8 assists per game. Finn Sullivan, he also gives you 10 points, 4.4 boards, 2.3 assists, while shooting about 33% from three-point range. For Big Empton, Jacob Falco, he's able to give the team 14 points, 3.5 assists, a little bit over a seal, shoots 35% from three, but for Binghamton, he can't be a bottom 75 team in terms of defensive efficiency and only shoot 29.9% from three-point range. Binghamton, certainly not a team that's looking to run it and gun it themselves, 227th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Vermont, back to playing that slow, grimy style, 305th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, and you're looking to Armand Reed for this Binghamton team down low along with Miles Gibson. They combine for 12 rebounds, about 21.5 points per game, but Neither guy shoots above 28% from three-point range. I feel like the Binghamton run that we saw from them recently was built a little bit on sand. They were able to hold each of their four opponents that they were able to win in their win streak to 65 points or fewer in regulation, and they didn't get past the 68-point plateau in regulation. They did score 72 on NJIT, but that's because that game went to overtime. Meanwhile, for this Vermont team, they've been able to do a much better job on defense giving up 67 points or fewer, and now five out of their last six games, so they're starting to tighten up there. This is a circumstance where I did set Vermont as a seven-point favorite, one to lay the number, and I do think that this is going to be a slow-down game, so my total at 131, so diving under. 306-521, 22 American plays also Army. Army is an underdog of three and a half to four points, totals between 137 and 138, and with American, I did set them as a favorite of four points. I'm going to be one to lay up to three and a half with them for American, a bottom 20 team in terms of possessions per game, but a team that they've got good guys that are able to contribute in terms of their versatility. As you've been able to get right in the neighborhood about 12.8 points per game out of Matt Rogers. Rogers at six foot nine is able to shoot 50% from three-point range and to be able to get the team five plus rebounds at each other the last three games. Meanwhile, for American, they've been dealing with some injuries in the backcourt. Most of it will be Colin Smalls. He's back to full, giving you eight and a half points, shooting 45% from three. Americans, they shoot 37% from three, but they do turn the ball over 14 times per game. You've had Elijah Stevens, so be able to give you four assists, nine and a half points per contest, and then Johnny O'Neill, a part of the versatility that you've got in the backcourt. 12 points, six boards, shoots 41%. From three-point range, as he's been able to give the team five plus rebounds at each other the last five games, was a little bit banged up towards the earlier part of Patriot League play. He's back to full. Meanwhile, you've got an Army team that you've got a pair of guys that I do like in the backcourt in Charles Mann along with Ethan Roberts. They've been able to both give you 11.5 points, 4.4 boards, and Roberts shoots 41.6% from three for a Army team that is collective. They shoot 37.5% from the outside with Jalen Rucker being the main facilitator. Three and a half assists, 16.5 points, 4.2 rebounds. You don't have anyone on this Army team that gives you north of five Five and a half rebounds per game, and that would be Charlie Peterson. Great name, nine and a half points, five and a half rebounds. But they do have four separate guys that give you at least 4.2 rebounds per game. So they do a good job of rebounding by committee. But American, they do a very good job of just being able to get their more methodical, just grimy style for American. It's a team that's right around 160th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. It is an Army team that they themselves are right around 263rd. And I do think that American is going to be able to find some open shots. It's an Army team that they don't do a great job of generating turnovers, and when you get clean possessions for American, they're able to do some things with it. It is an American team that is riding a four-game losing streak, scoring 62 points a few in each of their previous four games. It's an Army team that they themselves have been having a rough go of it on defense, giving up at least 68 points 
in four out of their last five games. So it's a situation of something's got to give. I do think that this is going to be a bit of a lower scoring game with American playing at their slow tempo. Set by 12 at 132. Diving under with American. Willing to lay up to 3.5 with him. 306, 523, 306, 524. Lafayette is playing us to Loyola, Maryland. Loyola is a 6 to a 6.5 point underdog. Your total between 121 and 121.5. I recognize that Lafayette is a bottom 25 team in terms of possessions per game. Loyola, Maryland, they're a bottom 75 team, but we've went a little bit too low with this total. I set mine at a 124, and much of it is because Loyola, Maryland, a bottom 75 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And I will say for Loyola, Maryland, they've scored at least 67 points in out three of their last four games. You do have a backcourt duo that has been able to combine for a little bit over 22 points per contest. Jalen Andrews, Cam Jones. Jones is able to shoot 38% from three-point range. It does chip in there. 1.9 seals per game. You've been able to get a little bit of everything as well out of Deion Perry. Eight points, two boards, two assists. 1.4 seals. Shoots 37% from three-point range. 12 plus points in three of the last four games. And the little exception is when he had a big giant goose egg, but that's up with Lafayette. Did set them as a seven-point favorite. Golden DK, the only guy for Loyola, Maryland, that's able to give you north of 5.2 rebounds per game. Meanwhile, for Lafayette, you've got a nice trio for this team. K.J. Jenkins, C.J. Fulton, along with Leo O'Boyle, they've all been able to give you between 10.5 and 12.3 points per game for Kyle Jenkins, not K.J. Jenkins. He's been able to give you six boards, shoots only about 32% from three, while Fulton and O'Boyle both shoot about 42.5% from three with Fulton. He's able to give you 4.7 assists per game, and Lafayette does a good job of not being themselves. 11.3 turnovers per contest. Both of these teams, I mentioned it, they do leave a little bit of something to be desired on defense, so the Lafayette defense certainly is a little bit better than the one that you are seeing out of Loyola, Maryland, more around 192nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and for Loyola, Maryland, 15 turnovers a game compared to the right around 11.5 for Lafayette. I do think that that is going to play a big role in this game and allow a Lafayette team that they had started out the year winning just two straight-up games. They went 2-4. and four They've now won four either last five. They've been able to do a solid job on defense, giving up 61 points or fewer in each other last five games in regulation, but they themselves have been able to get a little bit more going on offense, scoring at least 70 points in two of those games, and it is a Loyola Maryland team that they've been giving it up a little bit themselves. So my 12-124, I expect a little bit of late game falling here, so looking at the over, and we'll only lay up to 6.5 with Lafayette, and we wrap things up with 3.06, 5.25, Navy is going to be on the road playing against Bucknell. The bracket bus and Bucknell Bison. Between a pick'em to a one-point underdog. And your total is between 136 and 138. Seeing quite a bit of movement with this game. Semi-total at 136. So here at the 138, I'm going to be willing to dive under with Bucknell. They're now a team that ranks outside the top 250 in terms of possessions per game. Though, they shoot it well from three-point range. They're 34.5% from three. Xander Rice, main guy for the team. 14.7 points. A little bit over a steal. Four assists per contest. Also does shoot 85.5% from the free-throw line. But Alex Zimmerman, along with Andre Screen, down low combined for 12.8 rebounds, about 23 points. It's green. Gives you a block per game. That's going to be tough for Navy to be able to match up with. Navy is a team that has really seen regression with their defense. They're now a bottom 75 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis after last year in a roadside neutral court environment. They were the number one team in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Going up against a Bucknell team that's right around 196th in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Bucknell giving up 10.1 points fewer per one earned possessions at home rather than on the road, though. You've got Daniel Deaver, Tyler Nelson. They combined for 24.5 points. 
points, right around 11.7 rebounds. Both guys shoot 40% from three. And Navy, they shoot 39.5% from three. They only generate about six steals per contest, but somebody like Sean Yoder is able to give you 10 points, five rebounds per game. Your top three scores, I'll give you at least five rebounds per game. Nobody else gives you north of 2.7 rebounds per contest. It's a little bit more of a thin core for this Navy team. And I do think that going on the road against Bucknell going to be a little bit tough for them. And we have seen the Navy offense start to fail them a little bit. 67 points of fewer in three of the last four games. They live and die by the three-point shot. Meanwhile, for Bucknell, they have seen their defense start to regress a little bit as well as they've now given up at least 67 points or four of their last five games. But I do think that they're going to get back online against an AV team that is in the bottom one in terms of possessions per game and is starting to see a little bit of three-point shooting regression. So did set this at Navy being a two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them as a pick slash a one-point favorite. And I am also going to be taking a look at this total under. And that wraps things up for the Wednesday edition of Coast to Coast Soups, now part of the VEASAN family podcast. A big thanks to our good friend Kai McKeon over there at the Three Man Weave for joining me in the last segment. If you do like materialing from the sign podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore one. Keep in mind, letters EM, they mean does not matter. As per usual, please just send these into the timeline and the other way, that's fine, an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire in whatever you'd like here on this podcast by that five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, and that means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.